Conduct in the police service. A report by the Commons Home Affairs Committee says too many corrupt and incompetent police officers have escaped punishment and the culture of the police investigating themselves should end. A 5,000 signature petition against plans for a Sikh free school in South Buckinghamshire has been handed in to number 10. Campaigners say Stoke Poges isn't a suitable location for the Khalsa Secondary School, as parish councillor Sarah Carter explains. We feel that we are a very small village. We don't have any infrastructure. We have no transport links. Uh, we have very uh, narrow pavements. In fact, the road that the proposed school will go will be located has no pavement at all. Um, we have no street lights and we actually have no need for a school. More on this story coming up next with Ian Lee. Parents of autistic children at a mainstream school in North Bedfordshire are fighting to keep a special teaching unit. Lorna Hankin has the details. A consultation about the future of the Autistic Spectrum Disorder facility at Lincroft Middle School in Oakley ends today. The school, run by the Shambrook Academy, says the level of need of many pupils at the provision is too great for a mainstream school setting. But parents who have children with autism at the school say it's their lifeline and will campaign to keep Keep it open. The National Housing Federation says the effects of the housing benefit cut introduced in April are much worse than feared. Under the changes, some housing benefit recipients living in social housing have had their benefit cut if they have a spare bedroom. The Federation says the result has been soaring levels of rent arrears and empty properties as tenants can't afford to move into them. In sport, Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton says Pirelli must act now after a series of tyre failures in the British Grand Prix. Four drivers suffered dramatic tyre failures during the race at Silverstone, with Hamilton Hamilton's happening after seven laps when he was leading. The weather mainly dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 20 degrees Celsius. That's 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Boyle! Hey, Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. So you You and my... You're such a weirdo, by the way. Sorry? (laughs) I'm not the uh, one, like you and my producer today, Richard Williams, who both got sunburnt. Well, we didn't lie in bed all day. No, no. What? What does that mean? No, uh, you... But that's why you haven't got sunburn. No, I Because you were lazed around like a slugger bed. I wasn't in bed. Slugger bed. <laughs> I was not in bed. I was actually... Um, I've worked out that I can watch YouTube on my proper television, so in many ways I was conducting a science experiment. Oh, but you and Williams, you've turned up. There was one day, one afternoon of sunshine. You're both as red as beets, you fools. <laughs> what were you thinking? I was thinking, let's get outside while we can. You do the news. Yeah. Just making sure you knew that. <laughs> Thanks. They're as red as beets. Oh, no, hang on, that's the red microphone next door. No, that is Richard's face. Oh, my goodness. Did you get a little bit of sunburn today, or uh, the, the weekend? It was one afternoon of sun. How is that even possible? I, yes, I did spend a lot of yesterday watching some television. I've not watched TV for ages, and I enjoyed it. But, 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 I spent some time in the garden with the rabbit, reading. I was reading, not the rabbit. Uh, I didn't get sunburn. I stayed in the shade, and it was for 25 minutes. You fools, you fools. I bet there'll be lots of people turning up to work today with rosier cheeks than they had on Friday. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including a petition against plans for a new Sikh secondary school to be built in the South Buckinghamshire village of Stoke Poges has been handed into Downing Street. 
Well, should the state be funding religious or faith schools? provision for autistic children at a school in Bedfordshire, which parents describe as life-changing, could close. Well, I'll be speaking to a mum who says she'll have to teach her kids at home if it does close. And the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority is set to recommend a salary increase of up to £10,000 for MPs after the next election. Well, MPs have had it tough recently, haven't they? Surely it's time that MPs deserved a pay rise. Lots of ways to get in touch. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Uh, you can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. Or this is the best way to do it. Come on, sunburners. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Should, uh, should state, the state, fund faith schools? This is the question we're asking this morning. Well, at the end of last week, campaigners against plans for a new Sikh school in their Buckinghamshire village took their protest to Downing Street. A petition with more than 5,000 signatures against the proposed secondary school was handed in to the Prime Minister's office because villagers say their area doesn't have the infrastructure to cope with it. A site has been bought by the Department for Education in Stoke Poges in South Bucks, and if it's approved, the new school could be up and running as early as this September. Well, Sarah Carter is the Vice Chair of Stoke Poges Parish Council. Sarah, why are you against this school opening in Stoke Poges? Uh, really mainly because, as you say, we don't have the infrastructure um, here. We are a small, leafy, um, semi-rural village. Um, we have adequate schooling here in Buckinghamshire. In fact, we have a surplus of places. The school um, that is designated to come here is a school that has been identified to bridge a gap for schooling in Slough, which is in Berkshire. So we don't need the school here in Stoke Poges, and we believe it should be placed where it's most needed. Is there a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to uh, bandy the R word around, sorry, so please let me, is there a little bit of casual racism here? Um, absolutely not. Um, anybody that has driven through Stoke Poges and the surrounding areas will have seen our banners, which clearly say, keep our village a village. And this is about maintaining the green belt. The site, the suggested site for this um, 840-people school um, is a green belt site. And we feel very passionate about protecting our green belt and keeping our village a village. So that's what this um, is all about. Uh, you say that Slough's in a different county. I know that area very, very well, as I grew up in Farnham Common. But uh, isn't it's only a couple of miles away, isn't it? So it, it's, it may be in a slightly different county, but it, it's very, very close. Um, it is close. It's about three to four miles um, distance. However, um, as I mentioned earlier, we have adequate schooling in Buckinghamshire. Um, what this will also do for our children in Buckinghamshire, they, at the moment, qualify for free home-to-school transport. Um, to their nearest secondary school. Now, this school will um, become the nearest school. It won't become a catchment school, but the nearest school, which will mean, ironically, that our children will lose their free home-to-school transport, while the children that are being bussed in from West London and Slough will be entitled to free home-to-school transport into this small, leafy village. What would, what would be the problem with... Because with, uh, uh, other kids who are not necessarily Sikhs would be allowed to go to this school, wouldn't they? 
Um, they are indeed um, entitled to go to the school. However, the the, um, the first year's intake is is actually already full um, with Sikh children, um, and that's because the places were not offered to anybody in the village. Um, therefore, we were unaware that there were places available. So, is this this school could open in September? Is that right? It is, yes. So, uh, uh, it it sounds like it's already a done deal. Um, according to the Department for Education, it's not a done deal because the education funding agreement has not been signed as yet. Um, so, we're yet to find out. Uh, but if it's got the first the first year of uh, places a full, then it would imply that it's pretty close to being a done deal, and it would also suggest that th- there is definitely a demand for it. There is indeed a demand for it, and the demand is in the Slough and West London area, which is the, the target catchment areas for this new proposed school. Um, so, you know, if, if the school is needed, that that's fine. But if it's needed, it should be placed where it's needed. It does sound a little... There, there might be people listening to this, Sarah, who, who, who thinks th- this is a little bit of nimbyism. Well, they may well think that. However, when um, you live in a very small village, the, the road that this uh, school is proposed to, um, to be located is a very small lane. It has no pavements, no street lights, has no transport links. So we believe that an influx of up to a 1,000 cars a day coming and going in a very small leafy lane is, is just not and uh, safe to And the, the figure of a 1,000 cars, where's that from? Well, with 840 children... Right. You, 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 as you've already said, lots of them will be will get being busted, won't, won't they? We don't know yet. Well, you, you, you just said that was part of your argument, that lots of them will be being busted in. We, we're not sure what's happening with the ah, transport, okay, because that's something that hasn't been that. decided. Okay, just that you did mention that, so let's assume. And finally, Sarah, how many um, Sikh uh, members of your community are there in Stoke Poges? Uh, there's about 236 Sikh people living in Stoke Poges. Okay. Uh, Sarah, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. That's Sarah Carter, Vice Chair of Stoke Poges Parish uh, Council, uh, a, a place I know very, very well, having grown up about a mile up the road, Farnham Common. Well, after seven, we'll be hearing from the Chairman of Governors from this Sikh secondary school. Uh, I, 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 as with many things, I can see both sides of this argument. I suppose that the, the question is, this school is being state-funded, as faith schools are. Should they be? Not just Sikh schools, but um, uh, Jewish schools, Christian schools, Muslim schools, should they be funded by the state? 08459 455 555 is the phone number. You can send me a text as well, 81333. Start your text. 3C. I'm going to go off piste a little bit in terms of the music. I tell you, no, I've brought, I never do this. I brought a CD in. And the reason I brought this CD in, I got sent this. These people might be coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. I can't stop playing this song. It's legitimate, don't worry, there's no swears in it, there's nothing naughty. I'll, I'll tell you who it is. I've not played a CD on this station before, I hope this is the right button. There we go. I'll tell you who it is afterwards. I can't stop playing this song in my car. I'm 40 years old.
And you've got to admit, that is a good pop song. Isn't that a good pop song? Oh, I've been playing this all, all weekend in my car. I had a drive from Birmingham, and this was pretty much on repeat. Who was it? It was Hanson. Yeah, I know. I didn't want to tell you before, because it would prejudice you. Hanson have come back with a brilliant record. Here we go, you see. I know we're, we're late for the travel, but it was worth it for that. Hanson may be coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. Oh! Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. That was absolutely brilliant. Wasn't it good? Where did that come from? Hansen have come back with a good song. How did that happen? Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you. Clay. Thank you very much, Ian. Right, good morning. It's quiet on the roads. Nothing much going on so far today. Everything looking good on the speed sensors. Cameras on the M1, not showing any delays to or from London. Right down at the very end of the M1, southbound, it's partially blocked by a broken down vehicle. So this is at Staples Corner, Junction 1. But traffic's coping fine as you go past there and in toward round Brent Cross on the North Circular. Things looking pretty clear, actually, on the trains as well. We've got no late runners so far this morning and no problems or delays on the tubes to and from London. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. Adam. Right, 6.17. It's Monday the 1st of July. Excuse me, sorry. It's Monday the 1st of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. David Cameron's advisers have warned him that he will not be able to block proposals to give MPs a substantial pay rise. A 5,000 signature petition against plans for a Sikh free school in Stoke Poges has been handed in to number 10. In sport, Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton says Pirelli must act now after a series of tyre failures in the British Grand Prix. The uh, weather today, I could have said it worse than that. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, mainly dry, sunny spells, top temperature of 20 degrees. It's almost like it's summer. Coming up before 6.30, we'll get the latest on Nelson Mandela's condition as he remains in hospital in South Africa. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. got a problem with a company, a council or an organisation, there's one man you should come and speak to. You've got a problem with a mattress, I gather. Tell me all about it without naming any company name. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Well, every time she tried to book, the trip was cancelled because of adverse weather. The JVS show fights for your rights and tackles your consumer problems. Said send the receipt off and you'll get the cheque in the post. If you need our help... I went to speak to the man that runs this golf club. Email jvsshow at BBC. I'm just very pleased that you've got the money. And we could do the same for you. Thanks ever so much, Jonathan. The JVS Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. Many of the papers this morning feature a deeply symbolic and slightly posed picture of Barack Obama as he stares out of prison, the prison cell in Robben Island, where South Africa's first black president, Nelson Mandela, spent 18 years. Mandela remains in a critical but stable condition in hospital, though his family say the 94-year-old's shown signs of improvement over the past few days. We can join our foreign affairs reporter, Gavin Lee, who's in Cape Town, where the Obamas, uh, where Obama continues to uh, tour this morning. Gavin, is there any reason for you to be in Cape Town? Yes, because I'm about to um, go on a, a tour of Robin Island in wow. a few hours' time with um, Ahmed Katrada, who was one of Nelson Mandela's closest friends, former inmate of, of course, Robin yes. Island, and I've 
followed for my sins the Obamas around all weekend and um, well fantastic it's, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be uh, that's going to be a, an eye-opening experience going to Robin Island uh, let, let's start with uh, Obama's visit to Robin Island the president said he was deeply humbled wasn't he yeah, he did. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned slightly posed. I guess when you've got about 20 photographers, it's always going to be a difficult moment to try to get a sense of realism for. But it, but it was the moment of the weekend, certainly for the Obamas. They said it's capped the three-day tour of South Africa. They are still here in Cape Town, uh, not too far from me this morning. You probably hear what sounds like a hiss on the microphone. It's The, the wind here is incredible. But I can see, certainly in the distance, um, Robin Island is about a mile off the coast here. And I've got to say, this is one of the most... I don't know if you've been here before. No. Naturally beautiful landscapes in the world it feels like one of the windiest two this morning i'm on the waterfront in cape town i can just make out the iconic flat peak of table mountain in the distance some clouds over it the locals say every time the clouds come over it's like a tablecloth over the mountain and then in the distance is that small bleak prison and it's this site that nelson mandela said for 20 of his 27 years he could see in the distance table mountain this incredible view and for the obamas they spent just over an hour on, on the island and they signed in the book um, i've got it written in front of me here this is the visitor's book for robin island the world is grateful for the heroes of robin island it reminds us that no shackles or cells can match the strength of the human spirit so that was part of the, the tour here. The other part was to, many would say, because of China's increasing investment in Africa, this is a chance for the US to come back and invest a lot more in the southern African states. Uh, Obama spent the weekend in South Africa, but he's not had the full support of all South Africans, has he? No, not in Johannesburg. Um, certainly in the main he did, but I was in Soweto on Saturday, and of course that was a central part of the, the anti-apartheid campaign, where many of the uh, the protests, the riots took place from the 40s to the 70s, and where Nelson Mandela lived for many years. He gave a speech at the University um, of Johannesburg Soweto campus. There were about 200 people outside, so much so that the police had to, the protesters had to fire warning shots at, the, at them, rubber bullets, stun grenades as well, and their point was that America's increasing militarization of the the Sahel region and, and north of Africa, Libya, Egypt, Mali, in the Middle East, Syria too, saying you know, Barack Obama is the frontman for that. And they also argued that it was ironic that he was going to Robin Island given the situation in Guantanamo Bay and that hadn't closed down. So it, it, there was a protest movement and here in Cape Town too, but I would say it was on the fringes. In the main, you know, there was a, a lot of South Africans delighted to see Obama. We, we've got 15 seconds, Gavin. Uh, Mandela's condition is improving slightly, isn't it? Yeah, President Zuma said on Saturday, in the late, this is the last official update, that he's getting better slowly over the past few days, but he remains in a critical but stable condition. The hope is, he said, that Madiba, using his clan name, could be out of hospital soon. Gavin, I, I'm deeply envious of you, if I'm completely honest. Have a, well, I, I say have a fantastic time. I, I know that Robin Island is not particularly uh, the greatest of uh, the tourist attractions, but no doubt it'll be very inspiring, uh, and uh, well, I bet it's fantastic. To, uh, to go and uh, have a look at that very humbling. 08459 455 555. Do politicians deserve a pay rise? Go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Have your sale. Give me a call. It looks like they're going to get one and keep their pensions. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I'm nothing special. In fact, I'm a bit of a bore. If I tell a joke, you've probably heard it before. But I have a talent, a wonderful thing Cause everyone listens when I start to sing I'm so grateful and proud All I want is to sing it out loud So I say thank you for the music, the songs I 
Do you, do you want to laugh? Here's something. Front page of the Daily Telegraph. £10,000 pay rise for MPs unthinkable, warns MP. The Prime Minister has warned it's unthinkable that MPs could enjoy an increase in their pay package worth £10,000, which is expected to be recommended by an official review this week. Ministers yesterday admitted they are powerless to stop any rise ordered by Ipsa, and party leaders may have to shame their MPs to turn down any inflation-busting pay rise. Despite the likely public outcry, Sir Ian Kennedy, the head of the regulator, is expected to recommend that the basic salary from MP for MPs uh, increases by around 15% to £75,000. They get just they get something like £63,000, I think, at the moment. Something like that. They want it increased to 73, 75,000. Some, some of them want it increased to more, by the way. Some of them, in January, a, uh, an, an anonymous survey uh, said that MPs would like to have their um, salaries increased to £85,000. And to keep their, uh, their pensions. Just bear in mind, two-thirds of the Cabinet are millionaires. Just bear that in mind as you think about that. Now, £63,000 a year for what they do... Is that is that a lot of money, really? They're they're responsible for running the country. That's quite a big responsibility. Some of them are incompetent nitwits. Uh, some of them, though, uh, uh, do an excellent job. I would put forward. So, what do you think? Do MPs deserve a pay rise? Well, so far on the Facebook, you made it quite clear what you think. Danica Balak <clears throat> says no. Uh, they don't deserve a pay rise. This money should be spent wisely on the country. Simon Easton says, pigs at the trough of public money. And Albert, say, Albert says, no, they get more than enough for what they do. Well, what do you think, dear listener? Do MPs deserve a pay rise? 08459 455 555. I know everybody else is struggling at the moment and, and everybody else's kind of pay rises have, have been, it's 1%, if anything. Lots of them have been frozen. But MPs, they do do a tough job, don't they? They do do quite a tough job. What do you think? Should MPs get a pay rise? You can uh, go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can uh, send me uh, a text as well if you want, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Uh, Or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. Can we find anybody out there this morning who, who agrees that MPs, yes, they do deserve a pay rise? 08459 455 555. 
Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. All clear now into London on the M1 southbound. That broken down vehicle has been removed from the road at Staples Corner. In Amersham, some works on the A404 at the moment. White Lion Road, you've got temporary traffic lights for gas main work near the Loudhams Road Junction. In Ascot, Aylesbury Road, the A4010, temporary lights for water main work between Cadstein Road and the Holloway. While through St Albans, there are still some works on London Road, the A1081, at the junction with Nightingale Lane. Trains and tubes running well. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. Now, hopefully, we're going to be able to go to uh, Catherine Boyle uh, and her news bulletin. But I just noticed on Facebook that she's been, like, messaging her husband and stuff over the last 30 minutes. So there is a very strong chance that she might not be ready. Let's press this button and find out what happens, shall we? Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. ready. Here are your headlines. David Cameron's advisers have warned him that he will not be able to block proposals to give MPs a substantial pay rise. Thames Valley police are hunting a rapist who attacked a woman after they shared a cab home from Mendoza's nightclub in Aylesbury in the early hours of yesterday morning. And Luton police have arrested a man in his early 20s for assault, false imprisonment, making threats to kill and burglary. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton says Pirelli must act now after a series of tyre failures in the British Grand Prix. Four drivers had dramatic blowouts during the race at Silverstone, with Hamilton's happening after seven laps when he was leading. It's just unacceptable, really. We had that tyre test to develop and improve the tyre and stop this from happening. And after that tyre test, they didn't do anything about it. And it could have happened at high speed and someone could have crashed. And, it, and I was thinking in the race when we were behind the safety car, it's only until someone gets hurt that someone's going to do something about it. Britain will have interest in both the men's and women's fourth round at Wimbledon for the first time in 15 years later. Andy Murray plays Mikhail Yuzne in the second match on centre court, while British women's number one Laura Robson takes on Kaya Kanepi in the first match on court one at one o'clock. Brazil have won football Confederations Cup final with a 3-0 win over Spain. Fred scored twice and Neymar was also on target. The BBC's Ben Smith was watching. At the final whistle, the Maracanã reverberated to the sound of this passionate and fiercely partisan crowd singing The Champions Are Back. And it was hard to disagree. This was Brazil at their brilliant best. And they simply blew Spain and their 29-match unbeaten record away. Fred had fired Brazil in front after two minutes. Neymar made it 2-0 at half-time with a thunderous left-foot strike. Fred grabbed another after the interval before Spain missed a penalty and had a man sent off to compound the misery. Finally, rugby in Australia will find out later today if Captain James Horwell will be available for the third and final test of the British and Irish Lions series. Although cleared of a stamping charge from the first test, Horwell must face a second hearing after the International Rugby Board reopened the case. And that's the latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at seven. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Get back on your computer, you love-struck teenager. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show, provision for autistic children at a school in Bedfordshire could close under new proposals. We'll speak to one mum who says she will have to teach her children at home if that happens. And it's Independent Bookshop Week. Yes, I know. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, I'm trying to think of the last time I bought a book from a bookshop. Uh, I stopped going to a local independent bookshop because I, I used to go in there, have little brows, sometimes buy something, sometimes not. And then one day after being in there, I checked Twitter and the bookshop owner wrote, just had that 
Well, it was a very rude word he used. We'll say idiot, shall we? That's not what he said on the internet. Just had that idiot Ian Lee looking at books in here. I thought, well, stuff you, mister. And luckily, his bookshop is now closed down. We'll be speaking to the owner of one bookshop who's alive and kicking, and we'll find out why we're celebrating International Book Week. 08459 455555. Don't know why you think that you could help me when you couldn't get by by yourself And I don't know who would ever want to tell the scene of someone's dream Baby, it's fine, you said that we should just be friends While well, I came up with that line and I'm sure that it's for the best If you ever change your mind, don't hold your breath Because you may not believe Baby, I'm relieved When you said goodbye, my It's my turn to fly So girls get in line Cause I'm easy No playing this guy like a fool Now I'm alright You might have had me caged before But not tonight And you may not believe That baby It's a bouncy pop morning here at BBC Three Counties Radio. I think I'll take up my time with thinking of our breakup. Then you've got another thing coming your way. Cause it's a beautiful day. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. 
It's a beautiful day. When will you shut up? This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a provision for autistic children, that was the remix, by the way, at a school in Bedfordshire, which parents describe as life-changing, could close under new proposals. A consultation about the Autistic Spectrum Disorder Facility at Lincroft Middle School in Oakley is coming to an end. The school, run by the Shambrook Academy, says the level of need of many pupils at the provision is too great for a mainstream school setting. Well, Kate Barnard has children at the unit and says if it closes, well, she'll have to teach them at home. She joins me now. Good morning, Kate. Morning, Ollie. Uh, it's Ian. Ollie's, Ollie's the work oh, experience. Well, no, don't worry. Listen, he's, he, he'll be very excited to have been promoted to an on-air role. Trust me, Kate. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Don't worry. Uh, Kate, tell me about your kids and, and uh, who they are and, and how the autism affects them. OK. Um, my children are Scarlett and Harrison. Um, they're both 12. They both have Asperger's syndrome, which is high-functioning autism. So um, they're both very intelligent, very clever, very able academically, but they're affected by the autism more in social ways. So um, they struggle to make friends, struggle to make eye contact, um, can't read body language, um, and they have sensory problems. So being in a big, crowded classroom is really painful really difficult for them um so the nice small provision is absolutely perfect for them it means that they can learn and they can cope so how many would be in in the class at lincroft um probably sort of about five right and is is that the only difference that within the classroom there no, no. The, the teachers there um, are specifically trained to teach children with autism. Right. So they teach in a, in a completely different style. In what way is it different, Kate? Um, one of the, the difficulties that children with autism have is moving from one topic area to another. So what they tend to do is teach all subjects but stick to one topic as they do it. Right. That's interesting. Mm. I'm assuming it's made a huge difference to your family. Oh, absolutely huge. When both of the children were in mainstream, they've only actually been in the provision for two years. When they were in mainstream, we had horrendous problems. They were both really, really distressed at school. Sometimes I would get phone calls from school saying, can you come and get Scarlett? She's hysterical. She'd be pulling literally pulling her own hair out. Um, And Harrison just refused to go to school half the time. We would literally have to physically carry him in. When did you first hear, Kate, that this facility was potentially going to close? Um, Last year, the council, the local authority, um, has a proposal to close the upper school part of the provision. And then this year in May, the school started a consultation to close the the whole unit. And what reasons were you given for it? This year... um, The school have said that they feel that the level of need of children is too great, that um, changes to the funding means that um, they don't have the money. So so it it comes down to a lack of funds? Basically, yeah. Uh, Do do you think, I mean, it's going, uh, the the consultation is coming to an end. Do you you think the decision Mm. has been made already, though, to close this down? That's how it felt when we received the consultation paperwork. I, I really hope that it hasn't. But that's how it felt. Some people might argue, Kate, let me put this point to you, that that there Mm. could be, that by segregating uh, autistic children uh, from, uh, um, 
if, in, I'm going to say something very clumsy, in inverted commas, normal children, mm. uh, the, the, that's not helpful to either side, is it? Because uh, children who aren't uh, autistic won't know how to interact with autistic children and vice versa. That, that's the absolute beauty of this unit, is they're not completely segregated. Although they have their own classroom to go back to, all of these children also do take part in some mainstream lessons with support. So it means that they can take part when they're able, but when it's getting too distressing or when it's too much for them and they might become disruptive, they can move back to their own classrooms. And if this closes down, Kate, what's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> I really hope that it doesn't close down. When we had this proposal last year, my, uh, my only option really then was thinking about home education. Could you actually do that? That's a big responsibility. I know. <laughs> I don't know that I could put the children through being fully integrated into mainstream again. I don't know if I could put them or me through it again. Would they not... Because if you did home educate them, and uh, listen, mm. if, that's, if that's the way you go, then good luck to you. But then they will miss out, won't they, on, on interaction with other children? Yes. Yes, that's true. Um, but the level of distress that... that was caused to them by being in mainstream school full-time was such that they were completely isolated anyway. It wasn't inclusion. It's not included when you're one child who's sitting with your head on the desk the whole time or constantly coming out of the class because you can't cope. It's not inclusive at all. Kate, I really appreciate uh, you coming on this morning and uh, best of luck to you uh, and the kids. That's Kate Barnard. Well, we've approached the school to come on the programme. They couldn't come on today. But we are uh, uh, hoping to speak to them at some point. Bedford Borough Council wouldn't put up a spokesperson. Well done, you guys, for for not coming on as well. Bedford Borough Council. They did give us a statement. The council has provided funding for the autistic spectrum provision since 2009. We are aware that Lincroft Middle School is now conducting a consultation on the future delivery of this service. We will submit our views to be considered by the school for when they make their decision following the consultation process. 08459 455 555. MPs, do they deserve a pay rise? They do work very hard, and uh, you may not agree with what they do, but they they run the country. Steve's in Luton. Morning, Steve. Morning. It's only fair we give them a pay rise, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you won't all give them everything. No, just let us walk around with no shoes and whatever. Give them all the money. Have you got no shoes, Steve? No, I can't afford them, mate. You've, you know I mean? you've got shoes. Come on. <laughs> I bet you've got several pairs of Adidas and Nike trainers as well, haven't you? <laughs> you were joking, didn't you? Yeah. Steve, listen, they do a, they do a huge job, right? They run the country. <laughs> £63,000 a year to run the country. That's not a lot of money. Listen, if I run a... If, well, if I ever run a business the way these politicians run the country, we'd be all bankrupt years ago. We'd be, out, we'd, be, we'd be all signing on. Anyway, they should just put them on piecework. If they do well, give them a top or give them a bonus. If they're not very good, just give them commission. Just give them a... I'd drop it down to 40. I wouldn't give them a pay rise. I'd drop it down and they'd have to earn it. Steve, they travel all over the country. They meet people. They shake hands. They make important decisions. They help the local community. Yeah, on, our, on, our, on our money, they do it. On our money, then. It's not their money, is it? It's our money. It's our tax money. Well, we, we need to, we need to pay them something. 
Well, not if they don't. Not if they run the country the way they've been running it for the last forty years. You know what I mean? They, they've done a thing the other day. They put a price in for that rail line to Birmingham. And they forgot to put the trains in. I mean, <laughs> Steve, uh, uh, Julie, uh, Julie Morris Smith on Facebook says, "Yes, give them a pay rise. I'll go against the grain. They're running the country for God's sakes. They work all the hours sent. Have the general public spiteful wrath to face. What would it go up to? Uh, Seventy-five thousand pounds. I think that sounds reasonable. As usual, the people arguing this are just jealous." You are jealous, Stephen. I'm not jealous. Of course I'm not jealous. If people do a good job, then fair enough. You pay them a good, good amount of money. You, you don't mind that. But they don't. Look at the state of the country. It's pathetic. The whole country's... It's like a ghetto. They, they couldn't run a... They couldn't run what... I can't say the other word, but they couldn't run a... In a pub. They, they couldn't run a drinking session in an after-hours drinking establishment. Exactly. They're completely out of date, out of touch. They live on another planet. Now, speaking of out of date and out of touch, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Steve. Did you see yeah. the Rolling Stones at Glastonbury this weekend? No, I didn't, but uh, I've heard about it. Uh, 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 do you think the Rolling Stones, Steve, with a combined age of 6,329, do you think they are past it? Well, if they can sing and people are happy to pay for tickets, then it's up to them, isn't it? So it's a free market. You know, They've still got it. Maybe we should pay the Rolling Stones more. Probably, yeah, probably. I'd rather, I'd probably have, I'd rather have them uh, running the country than the, the politicians. For goodness, for this, Steve, thank you. Imagine if Keith Richards was the Prime Minister. Oh, dear. What a hell that would be. 08459 455 555. Two slightly diverse, but perhaps not unconnected topics. Uh, the Rolling Stones, are they past it? And MPs. Isn't it about time we gave them a pay rise? <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. So if Keith and Mick are running the country, does that mean that the MPs have to go on at Glastonbury? I think so. I'd rather okay. see them than Mumford and Sons. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a straight job swap. Brilliant. M1, London bound. You've got heavy traffic from Junction 9 at Redbourne all the way through to Junction 6A for the M25. It's not solid queues, but it is looking very busy through there this morning. Patches of slow-moving traffic on the speed sensors, and I can see some of the traffic on the cameras as well. And on the M25, it started to build up in the usual spots. You've got delays coming into the roadworks anti-clockwise from Waltham Abbey to Enfield. Then, after the works... From the M1 round to Kings Langley, junction 21 to 20. And it's also slow from Maple Cross to the M40, junction 17 to 16. Probably quite slow as well, looking at the sensors heading onwards down toward the M4 at junction 15. And if you're driving further in toward London, the A1 through Boreham Wood. Along the Barnet Bypass, looking very busy from Stirling Corner down to Apex Corner. Trains and tubes, well, we've got some disruption for Virgin Trains. They've got a signalling problem at Wolverhampton and it's affecting some of their services through the West Midlands, mainly between Wolverhampton and Birmingham U Street. So if you're heading off that way, you could be disrupted this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, 6.47 or thereabouts, I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. David Cameron's advisers have warned him he will not be able to block proposals to give MPs a substantial pay rise. Thames Valley Police are hunting a rapist who attacked a woman after they shared a cab home from Mendoza's nightclub in Aylesbury in the early hours of Sunday morning. In sport, Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton says Pirelli must act now after a series of tyre failures in the British Grand Prix. Coming up today is the start of Independent Booksellers Week, a campaign to promote the idea of shopping locally. Well, before seven, we'll hear from a local bookshop in uh, Letchworth Garden City. But before that, let's get the weather with Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Well, after a glorious weekend, the good weather or fine weather set to continue for today, at least a little bit different. It's certainly a much fresher feel. Temperatures not climbing quite so high. We're looking at a maximum later on of around 20 Celsius, 68 degrees in Fahrenheit, which is in fact what we expect for this time of year. But throughout the day, we'll get a little bit more in the way of cloud. We've already seen some lovely sunshine this morning, but the cloud starts to bubble up. There is a very, very small risk of an isolated shower later on this afternoon, probably out towards the east um, but like I say it's you're going to be fair, fairly unlucky to get one of those but we do have to mention them now uh, throughout this evening and overnight uh, after the sun sets it's just after nine um, cloud continues I'm afraid we'll get one or two clearer spells but temperatures dropping down to around nine Celsius so just below double figures certainly a much fresher night than the one we've just had not quite as muggy uh, tomorrow we're looking at a rather cloudy day we'll get some sunshine first thing but the cloud will start to arrive and then when it does in the afternoon thick enough to produce some light rain more significant or persistent rain overnight Tuesday into Wednesday if you are looking at watering the garden without having to do it yourself that's overnight Tuesday into Wednesday but it will clear away sometime on Wednesday morning that's your forecast thank you very much Kate BBC Three Counties Radio, your local stories. I have a friend who runs a hairdresser's and one of her members of staff is stealing the takings. So what would the advice from the police be? We'll find out, Sally. Your local life. Yesterday we were talking about the problem of shoplifting. So what can you do if you have staff who, um, to put it eloquently, are a bit light-fingered? Your local radio station. The one thing which seems to actually solve the problem for them, they all said, was I put in CCTV cameras. This is is BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got some ways of forgetting now What you're finding out, what you're finding out I've got some ways of believing now What you're leaving out, what you're leaving out So take a reach down inside your soul
waiting on collisions of the brain and the heart I'm patient for decisions and some stormy revelations I can claim from the start I'm picking up a storm in the valley I was born I can hear the tower Jamie Cullum there. Many people would wish he were on the edge of the cliff because that song is not one of his best. I like Jamie. He's a very nice lad. I worked with him years ago. Uh, I, w- I-, I preferred the previous single that he released. Is that, fa- is that fair to say? I think that is fair to say. I think, I think that is a fair uh, summary to say. Uh, now, does your MP deserve a pay rise? Well, the independent body set up to regulate MPs' pay and pensions certainly seems to think so. The Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, or IPSA, is expected to say the £66,000 a year basic salary for a backbench MP should rise to well over £70,000 after the next election. Well, the Labour frontbencher, Chris Leslie, doesn't think that idea will go down well with voters. I think the main thing is that it's got to be consistent with the, uh, the nature of the economy. And obviously, if, you don't, if you're not in line with the, the situation the rest of the public sector is experiencing, I think that people would balk at that. Well, the Prime Minister seems to agree, saying that such a plan would be unthinkable. And yet the BBC understands he's been warned he won't be able to block a big pay rise for MPs. In 2011, the Commons voted against the 1% pay rise and last year agreed to extend the pay freeze into 2013. The Liberal Democrat MP Stephen Williams thinks that's right, but says IPSA must be allowed to do its job. It looks as though public sector pay may go up by 1% over the rest of, the, of this Parliament, and I don't think MPs should get any more than that. So I think whatever IPSA come up with, I think the common sense solution is not to implement it until May 2015. But we shouldn't breach the principle of an independent body deciding our pay. I certainly don't want to go back to the awful embarrassment of having to vote on what my salary or expenses should be. That's why IPSA was set up. It's interesting, because IPSA are saying you should get a pay rise, and, and Mr Williams there saying, whoa, I don't know if it's right, but we, we can't really disagree with what Ipsa have said that would be would be inappropriate 65 grand a year it's not a lot is it let me put this into context uh, when you consider how important their job is surely it's time we gave MPs a pay rise isn't it 08459 555 Dennis it makes sense doesn't it to give them a pay rise no it does not what the hell did they do for the money in the first place? They sit in the back there, chewing their fingernails. They 
it's only the people on the front there sit there smirking because one of their chaps stood up talking. As soon as he sits down, one from the other side jumps up and starts pulling him to bits. So what the hell are they doing for the money? Well, you I shoot a lot of them, quite frankly. Well, Dennis, I'll give them a rise. Dennis, we're, we're not going to murder no, all no, of the I'd MPs. Give them the option. I'd give them the option. OK. The thing is, they, there's a little bit of pantomime, a little bit of theatre in, in the, the Parliament where they all heckle and shout each other, and we quite enjoy that. So they give us entertainment, but, but, but they also make important decisions, the likes of which you and I do not have the intelligence to make, Dennis. We, we, the, sorry, the intelligence we need is to pick the right ones in the first place, not the idiots we've got there now. Well, continuous, did, we have did, a continuous stream of idiots. Did you well, vote in the last election? Of course I did. I've OK, never, well, then, I, you're, then you're an idiot. No, because no, I you, voted you just for said the, just, no, you I just said you made the wrong decision. No, I voted for somebody who I think is doing a good job. Who did you vote for? My local MP. Right. Okay. So hang on a second. So you've just said that, that, that there are all idiots in there, and we need to choose the right people. Yes. So that means that implies you've chosen the wrong person. Because if no, because if it didn't work, I wouldn't vote for him again. Okay. So your one is obviously working very hard. What does he do that that, that makes you like him so much? He seems to be coming on, te- on the radio and television to talk. So at least he's moving around. You can see him. Hang on. Your definition of a good MP is one that comes on the radio and the television no, and talks. My eff- definition of a good MP is if they show it on Parliament, which they should do occasionally. Right. You find he's sitting there when there's hardly any, anybody else there. Okay. I mean, some nights you go on there, there'd perhaps be something like two dozen people sat there. Yeah. Uh, chatting about something. Yeah. And he's there. And what's the name not of your MP? Not what, every time. What's but, the name yeah. of your MP? Sorry? What's the name of your MP? You know, I can't remember. There you go, you see. Listen, and you... Uh, and yeah. you, you Dennis, Dennis, the, the very fact you don't know what he's called, it would say to me that man deserves a pay rise of at least ten grand. No, no. You, you, you are one of the idiots. You vote for a person you don't even know what his name I is. Vote. You've I asked vote. someone. You've asked someone to be your responsible candidate in the Houses of Parliament, and you don't even know what his name is, Dennis. We have to obey the system at the moment. It's not a system of parliamentary thing that I would have anything to do with. I'd have them going there by by just as you do when you go on a jury you're sent there whether you like it or not and if we pick 600 people from the normal population because we're not all idiots does the name Andrew, uh, Dennis I'm going to throw a name to you does the name Andrew Salou mean anything to you yeah, of course it does well who is it it's my parliament. Right, at last, Dennis. Listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give Andrew Salou a pay rise of 10 grand I'm going to take away your right to vote well alright take away my pension at the same time and then you can pay me what? Because... I cut him off there before he went off on some tangent. From beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Lively this morning. Uh, the M1 London bound. Heavy traffic from Junction 9 at Redbourne towards 6A at the M25. It's not a solid queue, but looking at the cameras, it is definitely busy on that stretch. Everything seems to be running okay on the M40, though. Having a look at the cameras right now as you come down toward the M25, and they're looking pretty clear. On the M25, though, you've got build-ups of traffic. Anti-clockwise coming into the roadworks, Waltham Abbey to Enfield. Slow as well from the M1 round to Kings Langley, and from Maple Cross to the M40. 
already starting to get quite busy on the A1M, which is quite early for a queue here, but it's looking slow as you go past Junction 7 at Stevenage, so possibly busier than usual round there this morning. And if you're going further down the A1 all the way into London, from Boreham Wood, southbound from Stirling Corner down toward Apex Corner, it looks like traffic is really slow through there. Again, not a solid queue yet, but definitely getting busy. Trains, and we've got some delays off toward the West Midlands for Virgin, Wolverhampton to Birmingham New Street, and now 15-minute delays Bedford to Blackfriars for First Capital Connect. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. More from him in 15 minutes. MPs. It's time they had a pay rise, isn't it? Here's Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's seven o'clock. The headlines, MPs in line for substantial pay rise, Aylesbury man charged with crossbow murder and Bucks villagers fight free school plans. BBC Three Counties Radio. David Cameron's advisers had warned him that he will not be able to block proposals to give MPs a substantial pay rise. At the moment, they receive just over £66,000 a year. Here's our political editor, Nick Robinson. David Cameron has said that any such proposal would be unthinkable unless the cost of politics was frozen and cut. In other words, a link between an increase in pay to an increase in pension contributions, a cut in the number of MPs or other ideas to cut the bill for Westminster. However, the Prime Minister simply doesn't have the power to block the idea, nor are MPs meant to vote on the matter. What's more, I understand that Mr Cameron's been warned that if the government did try to impose pay restraint, they'd be outvoted by the two-thirds of members of Parliament who told the Independent Review that they were paid too little. A 42-year-old man's been charged with the crossbow murder of Daryl Farnham in Aylesbury. Russell Gill of Lavender Walk in the town's been charged in connection with the shooting in Belgrave Road on Sunday the 23rd of June. Two men and two women previously arrested in connection with the investigation have been released on bail and will report back to Thames Valley Police later this month. A man in his early 20s has been arrested for assault, false imprisonment, making threats to kill and burglary in Luton. Police were called to Elgar Path near the town centre around 25 to 6 yesterday morning. The man later gave himself up. Thames Valley Police are hunting a rapist who attacked a woman after they shared a cab home from a night out in Aylesbury on Saturday. The victim was introduced to a man thought to be Albanian at Mendoza's nightclub in Market Square. In the early hours of Sunday morning, he raped her in a garden near St Anthony's Close. Detectives are keen to speak to the driver of the maroon taxi which picked them up, along with anyone who saw the man who's thought to be in his 40s and around 5 foot 6 with mousy hair. He was wearing a short sleeve top, jeans and black shoes at the time. 5,000 people have signed a petition in a bid to stop plans for a Sikh free school in South Buckinghamshire. The document's been handed into the Prime Minister's office and Parish Councillor Syra Carter hopes Number 10 listens to the campaigners' objections. The issue for the village is that this is a greenbelt site and we believe that we need to protect our greenbelt. So we believe, first of all, that there shouldn't be a school placed within the greenbelt. Secondly, we believe that there will be um, traffic congestion. So we don't believe that the infrastructure around the building can cope with the influx of up to a thousand people a day. In sports news, Britain will have interest in both the men's and women's fourth round at Wimbledon for the first time in 15 years later today. Andy Murray plays Mikhail Yuzne in the second match on centre court, while British women's number one Laura Robson takes on Kaya Kanepi in the first match on court one at one o'clock. The weather mainly dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 20 degrees Celsius. That's 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Seriously, right, the the unique way the BBC is funded means that... 
the money you're earning for this right. comes from our listener. Yeah. Okay. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks. Eight minutes ago, look, you posted something on Facebook. Yeah, but you're answering me. You're on air. No. Yeah. yeah it, Ooh, there's your argument shut down in flames. Clear. No, hang Oh, it's too late. She's gone. Never mind. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Monday morning, it's the 1st of July. Oh, uh, do you remember it was Christmas? Do you remember we had all that snow recently? And now it's July. How on earth has that happened? Lots coming up between now and 8 o'clock, including a petition against plans for a new Sikh secondary school to be built in the South Buckinghamshire village of Stoke Poges has been handed into Downing Street. Well, should the state be funding religious or faith schools? A provision for autistic children at a school in Bedfordshire, which parents describe as life-changing, could close under new proposals. I'll be speaking... Well, I've spoken to a mum who says she'll have to teach her children at home if it closes. We'll find out more on that. And do MPs deserve to be paid more? The Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority is set to recommend a salary increase of up to £10,000. Come on, they work very hard. It's about time we gave MPs a pay rise, isn't it? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call. You've been busy on the phones this morning. We'll have more of that, please. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. This morning we're asking whether states sh- the state should be funding religious or faith schools. At the end of last week, a petition was handed into Downing Street against plans for a new Sikh secondary school to be built in the South Buckinghamshire village of Stoke Poges, a place I know very well. Well, if the school was given approval, it could be up and running as early as September. But locals say it won't benefit them and will only benefit people living in places like Slough, which is three miles away. Well, earlier on in the show, I spoke to Sarah Carter, Vice Chair of Stoke Poges Parish Council. We don't have the infrastructure um, here. We are a small, leafy, semi-rural village. The school um, that is designated to come here is a school that has been identified to bridge a gap for schooling in Slough, which is in Berkshire. So we don't need the school here in Stoke Poges. Well, joining me now is Nick Candola, who's the chairman of this new secondary Sikh school, Khalsa uh, Secondary. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. If this school gets given approval, it would be the second Sikh secondary school in the country. Why do you want this school to be operating in Stoke Poges? Well, what parents have said, and there's quite a few parents who support the campaign, um, they want the choice to send their children to a, a faith school. But why in Stoke Poges when there isn't a huge Sikh community, is there? Well, there is. I mean, it's a growing Sikh community. 230 uh, 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 Sikh people, I believe, in in Stoke Poges itself. No, I think there's, well, there's probably at least 200 people in Stoke Poges. What you've got to remember, Ian, is that faith schools have a catchment area which is much larger than a normal school. We're not putting a village school in place here. We're putting a school that will serve the whole of Berkshire, the whole of Buckinghamshire and parts of West London. But then why not put it uh, in Slough, where there is a, a huge Sikh community? Well, there's an existing primary school which is right on the border of South Bucks and Slough, 
and this school happens to be about one and a half miles from that school. It's the only site we've managed to find that the government um, supports to build a secondary school. What, they're, what, what Mr. Gove's free school strategy says is that you have to find sites that have uh, an existing building where you can build a school, but you can build it cheaply because, you know, the country doesn't have a lot of money, which is a fair fair answer. It just seems odd, Nick. Like, listen, I know Slough and I know Stoke Poges and Farnacom very, very well, uh, and I, I went to school in Slough, uh, and there is a, a huge Sikh community in Slough. It seems odd, and in West London, it seems odd that you wouldn't build it in Slough or somewhere kind of, you know, in between Slough and, and the edges of West London. Well, believe me, and we've been trying for nearly four years now to find a site in Slough, and simply, if you know Slough, you'll know what I mean. There aren't many green spaces or buildings that are suitable for schools. So uh, we have tried, and this site actually was selected between us and the DfE, so it's not something that we're... Okay. We're pushing ourselves. One of the concerns is that the infrastructure isn't yeah. there in Stoke Poges. Do, do you agree with that? Well, a couple of things to add say to that. First of all, there are plenty of um, small villages of 5,000 residents that have secondary schools already in Buckinghamshire. I think places like uh, the Little Chalfonts and so on. The infrastructure issue, I don't think there is an infrastructure issue because if you stand on Hollybush Hill, which is where the road of the proposed school is, there is a 100-seater double-decker bus that goes up and down that every day of the week and then picks up children from Stoke Purges who end up going six miles to Charlesfont Community College. Now, that infrastructure is the same infrastructure that we'd be using, so I think that argument gets blown out of the water. Sarah uh, Carter from uh, Stoke Poges Parish Council I- is concerned that there's no pavement on this road and there could be a 1,000 cars a day. Well, what we've said to um, the parish council and to the local residents is that the majority of the parents that will be uh, uh, sending their children to uh, to the school will be bussed in. The pupils will be bussed in on a daily basis. So it will have minimal traffic impact. And certainly for the next three or four years, as the school builds up its numbers, they won't hardly, hardly notice. So I, I think they're concerned quite naturally if I was living next to the proposed school site I would be concerned, but I think those concerns are a bit exaggerated, to be honest. Uh, now, I'm assuming that, that children who are not Sikh would be allowed to go course, to this school I mean, as well. The preschool strategy that Mr Gove has, has proposed here allows, insists almost, that um, 50% of those school places are reserved for non-Sikhs. Now, the first year I, I, is, is full, uh, according to, to, to uh, Sarah Carter. What percentage of that year is not Sikh? So we have about 10% of the applications are non-Sikh, and those include uh, Muslims, those include parents from Stoke Poges, parents from Farnham Common, parents from Gerard's Cross. So there are there is a demand for the school, and what's happening, as you see, is how Slough expands with its numbers and, and new people coming to Slough. Uh, Sikhs are gradually moving to South Bucks. That There is a natural migration that's occurred over the last 40 years away from places like Southall and Hayes and so on, and that migration is continuing. In five years' time, I suspect uh, we will have, uh, you know, South Bucks, a good percentage, maybe 10, 15% of South Bucks will become uh, Sikh homes. Nick Felix, we are running out of time. D- does this, uh, this smack slightly of racism from the uh, the residents of Stoke Poges not wanting this school there? 
Um, I, I couldn't comment on that. I mean, to be honest, I think the majority of people in Stoke Poges are not racist. Absolutely not. They're just like you and me. We're normal people. Um, there are one or two individuals, I think, that are perhaps racist, but, and we've seen some of those examples, but on the whole, no, I don't think this is a race issue. Nick, thank you very much. Nick Condola, the Chairman of Governors at Calsa Secondary uh, School. Uh, Helen Milton Keynes has texted in, Faith schools that receive state funding are required to take pupils of different or non-faith backgrounds. If the new Sikh school complies with this, not a problem. Well, and Nick has just highlighted that the, the school will be complying with that. But should it be in a more urban area such as Slough, where the children live anyway? I do not live in Stoke Poges, but do not see why a village should suffer from increased traffic. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Independent bookshops. I love a good browse in them. Don't always buy from them. Today is the start of Independent Booksellers Week, a campaign to promote the idea of shopping locally. The harsh reality is that bookshops are becoming less common on our high streets. Since 2005, nearly 500 have closed their doors as they struggle to compete with the heavy discounting of online retailers. Well, Paul Wallace runs David's Bookshop in Letchworth Garden City. We can speak to him now. Uh, Paul, we know around 70 shops a year are closing, but you're still trading in your 50th year. How do you manage to survive? Well, I think we have a, a unique mix of products. So we, we sell new books and old books and bargain books, remainder books. We've got music to go with it. But on top of that, we've um, tried to create an atmosphere and an environment for people to come into the shop, which they can't get anywhere else. So we, we've got beautiful coffee and cake and uh, rooms furnished with books. Uh, wh- wh- why are you on the phone? Why have you not come in and brought beautiful coffee and cake in for us this morning, Paul? I'm very disappointed. Uh, well, I wasn't invited. Well, next time. Next time, get this man in with cake and coffee, for goodness sakes. So you've made your your shop more of an experience, then? Yes, that's exactly it. And I think that's the way we have to go. Um, we're, we're fortunate in that over the years we've, we've expanded and expanded, so we've got scale. We've got enough um, enough space to, to stock an in, in enormous depth of product. Uh, an enormous range of books so if you want some obscure book the chances are we we might well have it new or old you sell vinyl as well we do yes and and there's a vinyl revival Mm. um this week's independent bookshop uh week there's also something called um independent record store day which happens in in april which is um another sort of trade initiative and that's a fantastic, um, it's been a fantastic boost for, for independent music shops. What, I, I'm guilty of this, Paul, and I'm going to confess this. I have done that thing of going into a bookshop, seeing a new book I like, checking the price on Amazon on my phone and going, well, it's, it's 12 quid cheaper online and ordering it that way, which is shameful. But that is the way the market's going, isn't it? Well, it, it, I think it's quite fluid. It has gone that way. And um, it's, it's quite a few years since independent bookshops lost the cream of the new title market so for example if you went back 15 years a new delia smith cookbook that would be a banker for us we'd know we could order in 50 copies sell them all for christmas and have a a standard margin on them well all that really went when the supermarkets got into books even before the rise of amazon Mm. and it's all been accelerated by amazon but we have to fight back with the things that we can do better than can be done online so it's atmosphere it's environment it's knowledgeable staff it's putting products in front of people that um they they didn't know they wanted um and the other thing to say is that online isn't always cheaper we think it is but um it, it pays to check 
especially if you're buying something that's not an, a new title that all the marketing spends going into. Paul, uh, finally, uh, are you doing anything to celebrate Independent Book Week? Oh, yes, we are. We have uh, Michael Simkins coming tomorrow. Um, he's an actor that's appeared in Harry Potter films, his new book on the rules of acting. And oh, yes, Saturday, I read an extract of that in one of the papers today, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, very funny. Um, on Saturday, we have Yasmin Ismail, who's an illustrator for Bloomsbury Children's Books, so she's going to be in the shop all day creating a mural with our customers. So if you fancy having a go at illustration, come along on Saturday. Paul, listen, best of luck. Thank you very much for coming on. Paul Wallace runs, runs David's Bookshop in Letchworth Garden City. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Things moving well on most of the major routes across the three counties this morning, but there are undeniably delays. The M1 London-bound heavy traffic from Junction 9 as you go past the A5 at Redbourne toward the M25. If you're joining the M25 anti-clockwise, it's slow from back at the M11 now in Essex through toward Enfield at Junction 25. And as you go from there into the roadworks, it looks slow as well. Continuing round from the M1 to Kings Langley is busy, and then from Watford to the M40, Junction 19 to 16 is starting to look very slow. Delays then into London on the A1 through Boreham Wood, Stirling Corner toward Apex Corner. The A1M is looking pretty busy in Stevenage past Junction 7. And looking at the trains, we have issues. Virgin Trains, delays of up to half an hour, Wolverhampton to Birmingham New Street because of signalling problems at Wolverhampton. And there's a signalling problem at St Pancras, which is causing delays now of up to half an hour for both First Capital Connect and East Midlands train services running to and from Bedford. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. Right, 7.17, it's Monday the 1st of July. I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. David Cameron's advisers have warned him he will not be able to block proposals to give MPs a substantial pay rise. A 42-year-old man has been charged with the crossbow murder of Daryl Farnham in Aylesbury. In sport, for the first time in 15 years, Britain will have interest in both the men's and women's second week at Wimbledon. I say interest. Laura Robson takes on Kaya Kanepi, while Andy Murray plays Mikhail Yuzny. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, mainly dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 20 degrees. Coming up, around a fifth of patients in Milton Keynes in Hertfordshire Valley find current GP opening hours inconvenient. We'll find out more before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Original British drama on BBC One. This is John Luther. I've got a killer on the loose. Supposed to be representing the law, and yet it operates in his own sense of justice. You're such a gentle man. I don't know about that. Who is she? Who is she? If you take me down, I'll take you down even harder. Luther returns tomorrow night at nine on BBC One and BBC One HD. Now, around a fifth of patients in Milton Keynes in, and Hertfordshire Valley find current GP opening hours inconvenient. Labour are drawing attention to the... Uh, uh, oh, has he disappeared? Are we going to get him back? Well, we'll I'll, I'll carry on talking and we'll hope that our next guest uh, reappears by the time I finish this little sentence, shall we? 
Uh, Labour are drawing attention to the results from the latest patient survey on the same day that health regulators launch a review into how easy it is for patients to access their family doctor. Nationally, over 70% would want their GPs to be open during evenings and on Saturdays. Well, Dr Peter Goff is a GP from Hertfordshire and has just returned from the World Conference of Family Doctors in Prague. Good morning, Doctor. Do we need to review how easy it is for patients to access their family doctor? <clears throat> Hello, Ian. Uh, uh, well, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a key target uh, um, uh, amongst uh, GPs and patients between between GPs and patients. Sort of, uh, we have this uh, um, <clears throat> agreement that, that that we will see people as quickly as possible. But of course, there's another side of that. I mean, I personally am starting my surgery this morning at at eight thirty, um, and I'll, I'll see my last patient out at eight thirty p.m. Uh, uh, this evening, and uh, you know, I'll be working that length of time seeing patients. I could easily see, patient, uh, give patients five minutes, uh, and perhaps see twelve patients an hour, and I'd have got through about 120 patients in the day. But they wouldn't be very satisfied with the service I gave. And so, there's this there's this kind of balance we have to make between access and being able to give an appointment, and actually the time we spend with patients and, and our effectiveness. It is difficult, and isn't I, it, for I, for people <laughs> who are working in inverted commas normal hours? I I, I, I hear you you open until eight thirty. I think that's unusual for a lot of surgeries. No, it isn't. No, is no, it no. not? Most, most doctors do do evening oh, surgeries. They're open. Some some doctors are open at seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, we do Saturday morning. Surgery. So really, we, we most doctors are working. Mine don't, Peter. You need. I'm going to come to your surgery because mine don't do that at all. Mine are quite mean with their opening hours. And we we mentioned this last week on the show, and, and lots of people phoned in saying it was difficult to get appointments outside of that. They would have to take time off of their work, which isn't always convenient. And and the, yeah. a lot of surgeries don't offer uh, Saturday uh, uh, appointments. Yeah. Well, I think I think uh, in what, what what we have to emphasizes is not so much you know the access and the access of course it's certain certain people will will want to see the doctor at five to eleven between their whatever appointment and another appointment but actually i think we should be focusing more on that relationship with your family doctor i think we should be actually banging the drum of emphasizing the relationship the importance of a relationship between patients and their family doctors that relationship is so important and it's getting lost in all these targets and this kind of culture of uh, we must have it now most of the patients i see have chronic oh we've lost dr peter goff well i think we uh, i think we got the idea of uh, what was going on there dr peter goff thinks that his opening hours are long enough. Others would suggest uh, otherwise. Um, Peter, thank you very much uh, indeed. 08459 455 555. Now, Glastonbury. Do you know what? Never been to Glastonbury in my life. Never appealed to me. It looks awful. I've always just thought, what a horrible, tedious, ridiculous thing. This year was the first year I thought, kind of, I wouldn't mind, because I'm 40, I wouldn't mind possibly having part of that. Not because there was anyone I particularly wanted to see. Kenny Rogers. Wouldn't mind seeing Kenny and a bit of Bruce. Um, while they're still around, let's say it, it's, it's true. There was no one else I particularly wanted to see. It's just the atmosphere looked, I, I thought I could handle it. Now it's all middle class and it's respectable. And you don't necessarily have to camp in a horrible little tent. You can rent... You know, can go that glamping, glamorous camping. Kind of, it appealed to me a bit more. I had a friend there. My friend Matt was there, and he was texting me and telling me it was it was fun. Kind of appealed to me. 
Maybe I can get the BBC to pay for me to go uh, next year. But the, the, the big uh, the story was, of course, uh, the Rolling Stones playing Glastonbury for the first time. Didn't see it. Can't stand the Stones. I think they're tedious. Three good songs. Three good songs. On the front page of the Daily Mail, they look flipping awful. I mean, to be honest, look, they're in their late 60s and their early 70s, but they look awful. Well, the question is this, this morning, are the Rolling Stones past it? Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, has been out and about uh, in Bedfordshire. Morning, Sophie. Good morning. Now, you're young, you're hip, you're with it. All of those, All yes. of those things and indeed many, many more. What do you think of the Stones, Sophie? Do you think they're past it? Oh, you know, I didn't watch it because I had a sheer case of jealousy in terms of Glasgow this year. I bought tickets yeah. for it. Uh, really successful. Got up early one Saturday a few months ago, bought the tickets. Yeah. Couldn't go because apparently um, I'd put them on the one day that we had a wedding on. So oh. I couldn't therefore watch Glastonbury because of the jealousy. Hey, hey, listen, it's, it's ditch weddings, ditch weddings every time. That's a great excuse to get out of going to a boring wedding. But it's another one of those things where I would have got a divorce in oh. the first six months of my uh, oh, I see. marriage. <laughs> another one of those yeah, things. Another one of those things. You have been speaking to members of the public I about have. the Stones, haven't you? I have. And actually, oh God, a lot of them thought they were past it. Isn't that bad? Well... I feel terrible about it. Don't, also, feel, don't feel terrible. Listen, multi-millionaires, the Rolling Stones, don't give a stuff what you and I think about them. I know, I know, but whenever you're you're p- pictured on the front of most magazines and papers looking as old as they do, yeah. you do start to feel a little bit sorry for them. Should we have a listen to what the people Let's said? Let's do it. Thanks for letting me join you in your white van. Just want to quickly ask you a question. This is a, a picture of two of the Rolling Stones here on the front of the Daily Mail this morning. Did you see them at the weekend? I did, yeah. Do we think that they're past it? Yes, we do. I think they're well past it. I think they're a great band, but they're too old to be jumping around on stage. How did you feel when you were watching them? Just cringing from them, really. (laughs) (laughs) I was cringing from them. They're too old, definitely too old. How do we feel about uh, the way that they look now, so I'll ask you. Um, they look like they shouldn't really be uh, alive anymore, to be honest. They shouldn't be alive. This is a little bit harsh, don't you think? I mean, you, OK, so you're not old yourself, but in a few years, maybe maybe 20 years' time, you might uh, actually start to, to look like this. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like that already. Oh, but he's, he's got a better voice. <laughs> so, do you think the Rolling Stones are past it? They call them the aged rockers for a reason, and no, I don't, so why not? Never judge a book by its covers. So we're talking about the cover that I've shown you here. All right, I appreciate it's not the most flattering of pictures, but at the end of the day, you know, these are two people that have, you know, really contributed to rock and roll in this country, and you know what? Hat goes off to them if they're still doing it now. Did you watch them at the weekend? Didn't, know, unfortunately, oh, sorry. You missed it, it was a good one. It was, yeah, so was the British Grand Prix. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they still got it in them. They do look very, very old, but... You know, music's music. I don't think music's about how old you are, as long as they sound good. In your opinion, do you think that the Rolling Stones are past it? Um, I think, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty gone now. I mean, they still make good music occasionally, but not as consistently as they used to. In terms of how they're looking, do you find that they're uh, still decent-looking men for their age? Um, they don't have the stage presence they used to. If they turned up on stage like that, it's... It's never a good thing. They did turn up on stage like that this weekend at Glastonbury. Blimey, that's uh, 
it's pretty bad actually uh, look, well, Sophie be, be careful getting into strange white vans I couldn't help do you it never, well, t- three burly men at six o'clock in the morning oh for here. goodness sakes do you not in read the newspapers van. yes this is another one of those times where I could get a divorce in the first six months it ain't gonna it? last so <laughs> most people thought thinking they're a little bit past it old ragged haggard old yeah but you know what they've got the last laugh haven't they exactly they certainly have Sophie Solaria our reporter out and about thank you very much indeed we'll have more from her uh, a little bit later on 08459 455 555 we're asking this morning as well isn't it about time we gave MPs a pay rise they've not had one for a long time they voted against one a couple of years ago but now an independent uh, uh, body is saying well actually we should give them pay rise they get about 65 grand a year which I put to you it's not that much money for the job that they do really give them another 10 grand I would, I would suggest, I put forward the hypothesis, we pay, pay them closer to 100 grand. After tax, it's not that much money. And in St Albans is agreeing with me. Yes, it's time our MPs deserved a pay rise. Of course the MPs need and deserve a pay rise, says Alf. After all, they have to keep... Oh, Alf. They have to keep the moat cleaning companies going out of their own money. Oh, dear. Jealousy. Jealousy, you see. And we are jealous, aren't we, of people that earn more than us helen says uh increase mp's pay and allowances they've told pensioners their pension will be frozen they say ipsa is independent but they are frequently coerced and bullied by mp's which is why four of the five ipsa members resigned don't forget in addition to pay they receive allowances for postage travel committee membership accommodation they should work monday to friday 8 a.m to 6 p.m this would reduce the opportunity to work at additional jobs outside of parliament well I, I would say that if they worked Monday to Friday, 8 till 6, a lot of them, a lot of them would be working less hours. I say, this is it. OK, I've, I've got the problem solved here. This is what we do. We increase their pay to 100 grand. We stop them doing another job on the side. Huh? Does that work? So give them a pay increase, about 35 grand. Stop them doing a job on the, on the side. So that, that's, that has to be their job. That makes sense. We've solved it. Problem solved. 08459 455 555. Nobody in their right mind could disagree with what I said. We give them a pay rise, 100 grand, and they're not allowed to do a second job. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR 08459 455 555. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M40 southbound is looking rather slow from Junction 6 at Watlington to 5 at Stoke and Church. We've had a few sketchy reports of an accident along the Stoke and Church cutting, but on the camera it looks like it's quickly cleared through there, so probably has all got back to normal. The M1 London bound, heavy from Redbourne to the M25. On the A1M you've got slow traffic southbound past Stevenage at Junction 7, and it's very slow into London from Boreham Wood down toward Apex Corner. Anti-clockwise M25, slow moving from the M11 in Essex through toward the roadworks section and they start of course as you go past Junction 25 for the A10 around Chesant and Enfield. It's slow as well from the M1 to Kings Langley and very slow from Watford to the M40. Disruption on the trains, delays for Virgin services of up to half an hour Wolverhampton to Birmingham New Street. We've got a signalling problem at Wolverhampton and then First Capital Connect and East Midlands trains have delays of up to half an hour. They've got a signalling problem at St Pancras and it's affecting services running to to and from Bedford. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 7.30 exactly. News and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, the headline.
Economics. David Cameron's advisers had warned him that he will not be able to block proposals to give MPs a substantial pay rise. A 42-year-old man's been charged with the crossbow murder of Daryl Farnham in Aylesbury. And Thames Valley police are hunting a rapist who attacked a woman after they shared a cab home from a night out in Aylesbury. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. For the first time in 15 years, Britain will have interest in both the men's and women's second week at Wimbledon. Laura Robson takes on Kaya Kanepi in the first match on court one. And on centre court, we have Andy Murray against Mikhail Yuzny. I think I've only played him once on the tour, maybe. He's a very good grass court player. He was in the final in Halle and uh, I'm pretty sure he's been in the quarters here. Uh, he's been in the second week numerous times. He, he likes the courts and he's a very talented guy. In F1, Lewis Hamilton says driver safety is a concern and Pirelli must act after a series of tyre failures in yesterday's British Grand Prix. His Mercedes teammate Nico Rosberg went on to win the race with Hamilton finishing fourth. Brazil have won a third consecutive Confederations Cup title, beating Spain 3-0 in the final at Maracana. Fred scored twice, with Neymar providing the other goal. At the Diamond League in Birmingham, the Woburn Sands-based Olympic long jump champion Greg Rutherford finished second with a leap of 8.11 metres. He revealed afterwards that he's to split with his coach Dan Pfaff. Ultimately, when you've got a coach who's based in America and isn't coming back to Europe particularly, it makes things very, very tough. So I'm in a, I'm in a process at the moment of trying to sort something out where I can get a level of coaching based in the UK. And in rugby, Australia will find out later today if Captain James Horwell will be available for the third and final test of the British and Irish Lions series. Although cleared of a stamping charge from the first test, Horwell must face a second hearing after the International Rugby Board reopened the case. And that's the latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at eight. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to give us a call, 08459 455 555. Lots coming up in the next 30 minutes, uh, including we'll be talking uh, about uh, autism and uh, well, lots of other bits and pieces. But before that, MPs pay. It's on the front pages of some of the newspapers. Do they deserve to be paid more? The Independent Parliament- Parliamentary Standards Authority ha, is set to recommend a salary increase of up to £10,000 after the next election. At present, they get around £64,000, something like that. Well, I'm joined by our political correspondent, Paul Rowley. Paul, is it going to happen? Not if the general public has its way, Ian, I'd imagine, judging by their reaction to the expenses scandal, which I would argue still has traction, even though it is amazingly four years wow. since that happened. Paradoxically, because of the public outrage then, our um, d- democratically elected brethren, if I can call them that, uh, decided they no longer wanted to have this regular embarrassment of having to vote through their own pay rises. So they handed over responsibility to an independent body. As it happens, it's one they don't quite like that much normally, the Parliamentary Standards Authority, but they have now recommended they deserve more, considerably more, as much as £10,000 a year more, although this increase could be offset by a cut in other things, for example, their rather generous pension entitlement. So it's not the MPs, Ian, doing a, an Oliver Twist, as it were, saying for more, calling for more. They, they, it's an independent body which says, frankly, they are worth more. But, Paul, what, what do the politicians themselves think of it? Depends on who you talk to. All the three-party leaders are opposed to it. David Cameron says it will be unthinkable to accept such a large rise at a time when everybody else is being asked to show restraint. Ed Miliband, the Labour leader, has hinted he would
would reverse it if he becomes Prime Minister. And Nick Clegg has previously said any large-scale increase would be potty, as he put it. Only last week uh, we heard the Chancellor, George Osborne, announcing a halt to automatic salary increases in the public sector and a pay cap of 1% after the next election. So that sits rather uneasily with that. Then again, MP said to me, well, it's all right for the party leaders. They get more than we do. David mm. Cameron gets £142,000 a year, which, let's be honest, considering that some footballers get that in a week, maybe not that much. Ed Miliband gets less, as does Nick Clegg. They get 134000 a year, which is what the Cabinet gets. But it's double what the MPs get. They get 66396 quid a year, to be precise, plus, of course, their office travel and accommodation allowances. Well, Cameron says he's against it. Uh, Miliband says he'd reverse it. Can they actually do this? Can, have they got any power to stop it? On the face of it, they haven't. There's no mechanism anymore for a Commons vote on it. I suppose individual MPs could actually try to force a vote, although I don't think they're going to get that much support, to be honest with you. The MPs individually don't have to accept it. They can always give some of it back to the to the Chancellor. Oh, right, yeah, it. that's going to happen, Paul. Yeah, that's going to happen. Like we can always give more tax to the Chancellor, yep. you know, because they need it. Uh, and and, and it, to be fair, some ministers, those in the House of Lords who are independently wealthy, don't accept the ministerial portion of their salary, frankly, because it, it's not worth it, really, but, you know, it's too much hassle on the on the tax form. But many MPs say, look, we earn much more when we were lawyers or accountants, or dare I say, Ian, <laughs> part of the media. Yeah, oh, yes, but yes. But their, their salary remains three times the national average. So, you know, they've got to watch it in a way. David Cameron will say, look, I tried to change it. He tried to cut the cost of Parliament down by cutting the number of MPs. He wanted it down from 650 to 50, but that was rejected largely by the Liberal Democrats. It's also worth remembering the change will only come into effect after the next election. So it might be a different crop of politicians next time around. Individual candidates, presumably, could actually say, look, I won't accept this rise if I become an MP. They might all start doing that in order to get elected. Difficulty for the government, though, Ian, in this supposed age of austerity, it does make it more harder for them to say, yeah, we're all in this together, uh, when so many people outside Westminster are feeling the pinch at the moment. Paul, thank you very much indeed, uh, Paul Rowley there. What do you think? <clears throat> 66 grand a year. <sighs> It's it's not a lot. Dare I say it, back in the day, and this is back in uh, a long time ago, when I was uh, uh, popped up on telly a little bit more than I do, I earned more than that. More than that. It was a long time ago. Not these days. But, 60, well, I was just doing a silly job messing around on the telly and swearing. £66,000 a year for running the country, for being responsible for uh, uh, for you, and for what you get up to and the things, the freedoms that you have, it's not a lot of money, is it? After tax, very little. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Isn't it about time that we gave MPs a pay rise? Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh, excuse me, I got a little hiccup there. Did you hear that? A provision for autistic children at a school in Bedfordshire, which parents describe as life-changing, could close under new proposals. A consultation about the autistic spectrum disorder facility at Lincroft Middle School in Oakley is coming to an end. The school, run by the Sharnbrook uh, Academy, says the level of need of many pupils at the provision is too great for a mainstream school setting. 
Well, earlier on in the show, I spoke to Kate Barnard, who has children at the unit. They struggle to make friends, struggle to make eye contact, um, can't read body language. Being in a big, crowded classroom is really painful, really difficult for them. Um, So the nice, small provision is absolutely perfect for them. It means that they can learn and they can cope. Well, Lainey Miller is chairman of the charity Autism Bedfordshire and has a 16-year-old son with severe autism. Lainey, it's, it's a, a phrase and a condition that's bandied around, but what exactly is autism? Um, autism is uh, a disability that... Um, excuse me, I've just, I've just woken up 10 minutes ago. Um, it's a disability where it's, it's a lack of... Um, they have um, imagination their social interaction and their, um, you know, eye contact skills. They lack all of that, and there there is a severity of it in all levels. My son is severely autistic, um, so he can't interact with people, he can't communicate with people, and he really, really struggles with that, and there is different levels of of that autism. How hard is it for, for children with autism in a mainstream school? It can be extremely difficult. Some cope, some children cope, but a lot of them do not. And that's why these autistic provisions are so important, because smaller group settings are better for their learning and better for their understanding. In a big group setting, the noise, the volume of the noise, all of that, um, you know, sensory overload is too much. It could be be argued that a, a smaller setting is better for everybody, isn't it? It could be argued for that, but if we're, if we're talking of a child with a disability, if you've got a child that has got a sensory overload, you've got 30 kids in the class, they're all talking and they're babbling and they're, and they're, they're interacting with each other and this person can't think straight, can't listen, can't do their work simply because of that overload. They just can't cope. Their anxiety levels start to go up, they start to panic, and they start to you know, rise and rise and rise their anxiety levels. And then they, they just can't cope. They this, can't learn. Th- this facility we're talking about at uh, Lincroft Middle School, what's so good about it? Well, all autistic provisions are good. And in the ideal world, I would love an autistic provision to be attached to every school. In an ideal world, I would like that. I think all parents would like that. Because if you've got a child on the spectrum, and they're in the class, and they're coping, but for that particular lesson, or they're having a bad day, or their anxiety levels are really high, they can say, okay, come on out, come on out, you can go in that class for this lesson, and you can calm down, and you can learn in there. And for another lesson, you can go in there. It's just, you know, like a timeout I- class. Impractical, though, isn't it? It is impractical in the sense that, you know, it costs money. But if you want your your child to learn and they want to teach these children, then they're going to have to make some provisions for them. Some children just cannot cope with mainstream class. Even though they're not severe enough to be in a special school and they're clever enough to go to the mainstream, but they, they, in some areas they just can't cope. And the provisions are better for them so they can have their learning. And Uh, if you can't teach the children, what happens then if you keep putting this child in a class of 28, 30 children and and they're struggling and you're having to remove that child to take them down to a smaller class or to a a, a room on his own just to learn? That's that's not education, is it? So the provisions are fantastic for, for these children so that they can just get on with their learning. How many, do we know how many children use this provision in this school? 
I'm not aware of how many actually use it. Um, I don't know. I do know that they're, you know, I do about, I know about the story, but I don't know how many actually are in it. Okay. Because there, there is an issue with cost, isn't there? And if the school can't afford it, um, uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, to misquote uh, Mr Spock from Star Trek. And if the school can't afford to run this facility, that they need to cut it, don't they? To, 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 to help the other children, the majority of no, the no. children. No, no, because at the end of the day, every, every child has the right to be educated. And it has to go it, on that child's knees. But if, they, if they're got, spending money they don't have, Laney, on a facility that's not used by many people, then that would be to the detriment of, of the majority of the children, wouldn't it? No, that's down, to, that's down to the school to go back to education department in the local authority and say, we need it. But there is These no money, is there? I mean, there is no money. That's, that's well, the thing. Well, they say there's no money, but then they waste money on other projects and other things. At the end of the day, um, the local authority have uh, an obligation to educate the children. And if that, then that particular band of children, if it's six, ten or eight, have to be educated in a certain provision then that's the need. But then, I, I would imagine that the... And I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate, Lane. It's not necessarily what I think. Yeah, but I imagine, oh, no. I imagine that the, uh, the uh, education department would say, well, we are providing... You know, the, the children can be educated in a mainstream school. We don't agree with your point, Laney, that they should be educated separately. So they are giving the, the, the basic provision they need to, aren't they? OK, and then what's going to happen then when these children go into the mainstream schools and they're not coping? What happens then? I have parents um, that, on a regular basis, get phone calls every week to say, come and pick up Johnny, because he's not coping. Come and take him out of school, he's not coping. And that can happen to some particular parents two or three times a week. And that's because that child is in that classroom setting, and those 30 children are chatting around him, the noise levels, walking through the court, he just can't cope. Now, he's too clever to go to a special school, and he's in a mainstream and he's not coping. So what happens then when Kate, these children are being sent home because they're not coping? Kate uh, Barnard, who we spoke to earlier on, who has got uh, uh, two kids uh, at this school, says that she might have to home tutor if this facility gets closed down. I, I would imagine that uh, even in the best of circumstances, home tutoring is quite, quite difficult. But to do it with two autistic children, is, is that the, the, the best thing, the best option open to her? Um, well, no, just keep fighting. Try to keep fight to keep this autistic provision open, really. Um, it's, I do know parents do home tutor because, you know, they, they wasn't coping in mainstream. Um, and, and that suits that child. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about getting the local authority to recognise that this need is there. It's got to be done for these children, <coughs> excuse me, so they can have an education. Um, and just teach them those skills, teach them those social skills. And to do that, they have to do it in small group settings to integrate them into the mainstream school. Laney, considering you only got up 10 minutes ago, you put your point I forward did. very eloquently. Thank you. I know, and I only moved yesterday, on Friday, so oh. I absolutely shattered how my did, brain. How did that go? Manic. Yeah. Absolutely manic. Are, 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 but you're in, though, are you? I'm in, I'm in, but I'm so tired. Yeah. I just haven't stopped all week. You'll be living in box, out of boxes for the next six months, Laney. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Laney Miller, uh, chairman of the charity Os, uh, Autism Bedfordshire, 08459 555. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A1, as you come to the Black Cat roundabout, is looking very slow from St Neots this morning southbound. Then as you continue on the A1M, it's slow past Stevenage at Junction 7. And then into London through Boreham Wood, the A1 is stop-start 
from Stirling Corner down to Apex Corner. On the M1, you've got heavy traffic from Redbourne to the M25. Not a solid queue there. It hasn't looked completely solid all the way down to the M25 yet today. But looking at the cameras, it is all very slow. On the M40, we had reports of slow traffic between Watlington and Stoke and Church. Some people suggested there may have been an accident in the Stoke and Church cutting, but certainly on the cameras there, it looks like everything's moving okay now. M25 anti-clockwise, slow moving from the M11 round to Enfield, junction 27 to 25. Then you've got the roadworks, and then from Watford to the M40 is very slow. On the trains, delays for First Capital Connect up to half an hour from Bedford all the way through to Brighton now, and from St Albans to Sutton because of a signalling problem at St Pancras. It's also causing 30-minute delays for East Midlands trains between St Pancras and Nottingham, and Virgin affected by half-hour delays because of a separate signalling problem at Wolverhampton. This is affecting their services toward Birmingham New Street. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. More from Adam in 15 minutes, right? 7.47. It's Monday the 1st of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. David Cameron's advisers have warned him that he will not be able to block proposals to give MPs a substantial pay rise. A 42-year-old man has been charged with the crossbow murder of Daryl Farnham in Aylesbury. In sport, Lewis Hamilton says driver safety is a concern and Pirelli must act after a series of blowouts in yesterday's British Grand Prix. Coming up, today is the start of Independent Booksellers Week. Before 8 o'clock, we'll speak to a local author from Bedfordshire. But before that, let's get the weather with Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, after a glorious weekend, we've had some sunshine again this morning. Now, the cloud will start to increase. There's already a bit of high cloud out towards uh, Buckinghamshire at the moment, but it will gradually move across Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire as well. Now, it's one or two spots of rain. They're not really getting as far as the earth, actually. They're just kind of hovering about in the air. So don't be surprised if you do get one or two, um, but it's fairly unlikely for most of us. A bit more in the way of cloud. It's a bit of a fresh feel to the day as well with the maximum temperature still nice though of around 20 celsius maybe a little bit below as we head through the day 19 20 celsius now overnight tonight we'll end the day with some pleasant evening sunshine still some cloud around um but we'll get some clear spells minimum temperature in the rural spots in single figures nine celsius 48 degrees in fahrenheit so a cooler less muggy night than one we just had and uh, uh, starting tomorrow a similar start to the day sunny spells but then that cloud arriving again and the cloud quite thick in the the afternoon which could bring a little bit of light rain the maximum temperature tomorrow 20 celsius 68 degrees in fahrenheit and that's your forecast thank you kate if you've missed any of the programs from the last week you've missed things like this we knew myra we were brought up with myra she lived in the next street to us she knew Polly. we were devastated when we found out what they'd done but there is a way you can hear it all again so your friend Pauline Reed, she was just 16 when she was murdered by Brady. Go to bbc.co.uk slash three counties and click on listen again. All of our programmes are available for seven days, allowing you to listen to what you missed. bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Uh, 08459 is the phone number. Today is the start of Independent Booksellers Week, a campaign to promote the idea of shopping locally. The harsh reality is we might like bookshops, local small independent bookshops, but they're becoming less and less common on our high streets. Since 2005, nearly 500 have closed their doors as they struggle to compete with the heavy discounting of online retailers. Dr Alec Charles is an author and principal uh, lecturer in media at the University of Bedfordshire and joins me now. Good morning, Alec. Good 
Good morning. Do we not just have to admit that bookshops, they're old-fashioned, they're a thing of the past? Um, that would be a Darwinian view of the situation. Um, I'm not sure it's necessarily the kind of society, though, that we want to live in. Um, independent bookshops. Bookshops generally are fantastic centres of community, and independent bookshops in particular, they're terribly, terribly important. I live in Luton, and Luton um, used to have a Waterstones. Waterstones closed, um, so it's not just independent bookshops that are being hit by the Amazon revolution, it's all kinds of bookshops. And Luton for a long time really didn't have anything apart from um, a W.H. Smith's book department. We now actually have in Luton the company John Smith's, small company that runs university bookshops, has gone into partnership with the university, and we have that, which is very good, but it's an academic bookshop. I think it's really, really sad when we don't have a real local independent bookshop in any town. A community bookshop is terribly important. You walk into it, you meet people, you find books that you wouldn't otherwise find. I buy a lot from Amazon. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should be just buying Ah, you're part of the problem then. I, I, I know I am, but when I go to Amazon, what does Amazon tell me? Amazon just offers me books that I already know I want, because Amazon looks at my buying history yep. and thinks, oh, he's bought all of those things, so he's going to want to buy this. When I go into a bookshop, I see lots of interesting new things that I wouldn't have even thought of. So bookshops don't just increase generally people's levels of reading, levels of literacy. They broaden your mind. Uh, I, I agree with you that the, the browse factor is a huge thing about being uh, in any kind of shop, of course. But I, I would imagine, Alec, that the reason you use Amazon is that one of the couple of reasons I use it. It's a lot cheaper generally, uh, and I don't have to go in town. I can sit at home, order a book in the morning. I'll have it the next day if, if I'm lucky. Book, bookshops can't compete with that, can they? And that, of course, there, there's the community aspect, and there is the, the browse factor. But I, I, for a lot of people, it boils down to convenience and, and money, doesn't it? It does. It does a great deal. Um, and that, that's quite right. I'm, I'm not saying that organisations like Amazon shouldn't exist. Perhaps organisations like Amazon should be paying very, very full taxes, and therefore they would be playing on a level playing field with independent bookshops, which I think is an important factor. If we were paying more for Amazon, then possibly we would shop elsewhere. Um, they're, they're serving different markets. There are some things that I'd never be able to get from an independent bookshop. I need some specialist books for my work. I have some specialist interests, whatever. Um, I'll always go to organisations like Amazon for that, and Amazon are great for that. Um, there are lots of people who can't get into town and who, for reasons of age or disability or simply living miles and miles away from the nearest town, rely on organisations like Amazon, and they serve a fantastic purpose. But that... That is not to say that independent bookshops aren't also terribly, terribly important. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is inevitable we're seeing their demise. It's still very tragic. That we're oh, seeing it demise. is very sad. Uh, the, finally, Alec, the e-books, Kindles, things like that, are they partly responsible? I, I guess they are. I mean, there's, there's this massive move to, to, to Kindle. Personally, I don't see see it um i'm someone who likes the feel of a book the smell the of smell of a book is a thing yeah. for me oh it's wonderful um but but yeah um there's there's of course the, the massive move to kindle and that's very very convenient for a lot of people having said that I'm, I'm, i start to question whether people really value kindle books 
as much. You know, when, when I get a book, whether I get it from Amazon or I get it from a bookshop, I get a paper thing, I sit down and I read it. I don't just put it in the corner. I've got friends who buy 20, 30 books on Kindle each week because they're so cheap, and they just amass this huge library. But I'm not sure if they ever actually get around to reading them. Dr Alec Charles, thank you very much uh, indeed. Author, principal lecturer in media at the, the University of Bedfordshire. I don't, I'm never going to get. I'm never going to get into those Kindles and eBooks and things like that. No, no, no. I want to touch a book. I want to feel a book. I want to smell a book. I want to look at the spine of a book. I want to feel the weight of a book in my bag. I don't want a Kindle for goodness sakes. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five Glastonbury. The big story, of course, was the Rolling Stones. But are the Rolling Stones past it? Well, Emma Soames is the editor-at-large of Saga magazine. Morning, Emma. Good morning. The Rolling Stones give old people a bad name, don't they? <coughs> Rather the opposite, I think. Oh. Goodness. I mean, they are absolutely amazing. They held 100,000 people in the palms of their hands on yep. Saturday night. Yeah. I mean, they're extraordinary. And all the more so for the fact that they're not in the first flush of youth. No, I, I, I think that passed several times ago. <laughs> every, exactly. Listen, I do like, I do like older bands. I, I do go and see older bands. So my prejudice is slightly against the, the fact it's the Stones, not their age. But but there were lots of people tweeting and, and commenting on online about Mick Jagger saying, well, it was proper granddad dancing. He needs to... He's, he's nearly 70. He does need to kind of knock it on the head because it, it, it looks a bit silly. Oh, well, you mean you're saying he's undignified? Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Well, OK, but he is a rock star. I mean, I agree, Grandad dancing, you're or my granddad doing it, it would be we'd all want to put our heads under a pillow. Yeah. But the fact is, he is a rock star, and they were paid £400,000 to behave like rock stars. So, um, you know, and he is completely extraordinary he's got the most extraordinary body he even at his age he's made of i don't know what looks he looks like a rubber band he, he needs a good meal emma he's still got those kitten hips um <laughs> and um you know her satanic majesty's request oh hang on a second emma hang on a second the fact you've named a slightly obscure album and you've mentioned his kitten hips i'm guessing that this isn't a new infatuation you've had a soft spot for mr jagger for a while I is think that correct it could be said that i <laughs> have not been averse to his charm <laughs> and i tell you one thing on. i admire him for enormously yes is he hasn't hasn't had a facelift no you've got to respect that definitely you know i mean he looks his age yeah he doesn't behave his age, um, and there are people of 25 who will be trying to dance like him all week. How does he do it? How does, how does he? I mean, he's the one that moves around the most of the stage. The others are quite sedentary. But how does he do that for two hours a night, two and a half hours a night, you know, several nights a week? How can he have that energy? Well, it is said that he trains like an athlete. Um, he takes it very, very seriously. I mean, you know, he did an interview with um, John Humphreys earlier this week where he doesn't go into um, how he gets ready for a performance. But when they go on tour, you know, he goes into training like Barry Wiggins or somebody. And uh, Emma, were you always a Stones fan over the Beatles? Um, oh, I adored them both, mm. actually. <laughs> I was front row... Um, of both back in the 70s. Really? And I found them both absolutely amazing. 
Because um, McCartney's still doing it, isn't he? McCartney's know, still going. There are so many great older role models. I'd say my top two are Mick Jagger and the Queen. Fantastic, Emma. It's lovely to talk to you. Emma Soames, editor at large of Saga magazine. Wasn't, well, she, she gave a feisty defence. Is when she mentioned Mick Jagger's kitten hips. A phrase I've not heard before. I thought, ah, I can, st- I can hear the twinkle in your eye. Am I? I'm, I'm still getting that uh, teenage crush coming through. So well done, you. Well, what do you think? The Rolling Stones, are they past it? Did you see them? Were they a bit of an embarrassment at the weekend? I, and I like older bands. Listen, I, I went to see the Monkees last year. A couple of them are in their 70s. But it was, it was a bit more refined. A dignity. They had dignity. 08459 555 555. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Some delays as you come down the A1 southbound to all the Black Cat roundabout. It's looking slow back to St Neots. The A1M southbound is slow past Stevenage and then stop start down the A1 into London through Boreham Wood from Stirling Corner toward Apex Corner. The London-bound M1, heavy from Redbourne to the M25. On the M40, still maybe a little slow between Watlington and Stokenchurch after reports of an accident earlier through the Stokenchurch cutting. On the M25, you've got patches of stop-start traffic anti-clockwise. It starts way back in Essex now at Junction 28 through toward the roadworks section. Then it's slow through the works and very slow from St Albans at Junction 21A round to the M40. Delays on the trains. First Capital Connect up to half an hour. Bedford to Brighton and St Albans to Sutton because of a signalling problem at St Pancras. That's also causing half-hour delays for East Midlands trains, St Pancras to Nottingham. And Virgin trains have a separate problem at Wolverhampton, meaning half-hour delays at Wolverhampton to Birmingham New Street. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed. So, coming up in the last hour of the show, boy oh boy, it's flying by for me. We'll have more about the Rolling Stones, we'll have more about autism, but also, isn't it time we gave MPs a pay rise? Here's the news with Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. eight o'clock the headlines MPs in line for substantial pay rise Box villagers fight plans for free school and calls for action after Grand Prix blowouts BBC Three Counties Radio David Cameron's been warned he won't be able to block plans for a big pay rise for MPs the independent body set up to regulate MPs pay and pensions IPSA is expected to say that backbenchers should see their basic salary rise from £66,000 a year to nearer 75000 the Prime Minister says such a plan would be unthinkable but Conservative MP Tim Lowry thinks Ipsa should be left to decide. We gave up control over our pay and, and, and pensions, remember, quite rightly. So the public actually shouldn't be surprised when they now come forward, this independent body, and say MPs should be paid uh, more. But, you know, we're damned if we do, damned if we uh, don't. A 42-year-old man's been charged with the crossbow murder of Daryl Farnham in Aylesbury. Russell Gill of Lavender Walk in the Town's been charged in connection with the shooting in Belgrave Road on Sunday the 23rd of June. Two men and two women arrested previously have been released on bail to report back to Thames Valley Police later this month. Thames Valley Police are hunting a rapist who attacked a woman after they shared a cab home from a night out in Aylesbury. The victim was introduced to the man, who's thought to be Albanian, at Mendoza's nightclub in Market Square. In the early hours of Sunday morning, he raped her in a garden near St Anthony's Close. Detectives are keen to speak to the driver of the maroon taxi, along with anyone who saw the man, who's thought to be in his 40s and around 5 foot 6 with mousy hair. He was wearing a short sleeve top, jeans and black shoes at the time.
A man in his early 20s has been arrested for assault, false imprisonment, making threats to kill and burglary in Luton. Police were called to Elgar Path near the town centre at around 25 to 6 yesterday morning. The man later gave himself up. A 5,000 signature petition against plans for a Sikh free school in South Buckinghamshire has been handed in to number 10. Campaigners say Stoke Poges is too small and lacks the infrastructure to deal with the extra traffic the Khalsa school would attract. That argument's disputed by Nick Candola. He's a prospective free school's chairman. If you stand on Hollybush Hill, which is where the road of the proposed school is, there is a 100-seater double-decker bus that goes up and down there every day of the week and then picks up children from Stoke Purges who end up going six miles to Charlesfont Community College. Now, that infrastructure is the same infrastructure that we'd be using, so I think that argument gets blown out of the water. The National Housing Federation says the effects of the housing benefit cut introduced in April are much worse than feared. Under the changes, some housing benefit recipients living in social housing have had their benefit cut if they have a spare bedroom. The Federation says the result's been soaring levels of rent arrears and empty properties as tenants can't afford to move into them. In sport, Lewis Hamilton says Pirelli must act now after dangerous tyre failures in the British Grand Prix. Four drivers suffered dramatic blowouts during the race at Silverstone yesterday. The weather, mainly dry with with sunny spells and a top temperature of 20 degrees Celsius, that's 68 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. I've, I've had a blowout in the car before. I'm sure you have. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's the 1st of July. What? What? It was... Oh, we were doing um, schools that have been closed by snow just the other week, weren't we? Wow. First of July. Lots coming up between uh, now and JVS at nine o'clock. Including, as you heard in the news, a petition against plans for a new Sikh secondary school to be built in the South Buckinghamshire village of Stoke Poges has been handed into Downing Street. A provision for autistic children at a school in Bedfordshire, which parents describe as life-changing, could close under new proposals. We'll be finding out more about that. And do our MPs deserve to be paid more? The Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority is set to recommend a salary, a salary increase of up to £10,000. Well, they're right, aren't they? MPs don't get paid enough for the work they do. Shouldn't we be giving MPs a salary increase? Lots of you having your say on Facebook about that. You can go and post now. I'll read those, uh, well, in the next 15 minutes or so. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Send me a text. 81333. Start your text, 3CR. But the best way, and you've been good on the phones today. I like it when you call in. It's more fun, I think. 813. Oh, no, that's the text. Hang on a second. Don't dial that. No. Whoa. Hey. Whoa. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
residents in South Buckinghamshire are very concerned about proposals to open up a new secondary school in their village. The site in Stoke Poges, bought by the Department of Education, could house a new Sikh free school known as Khalsa Secondary. Locals say the village does not have the infrastructure for any type of school, and they say the people using the school will be coming from places like Slough and West London. Well, this morning we're asking whether the state should be funding religious or faith schools. Joined by Alison Ruoff, who's a member of the General Synod and lives in Chessent, and Charles Bailey, who is chair of Bedfordshire Humanist. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. morning. Uh, Alison, let's start with you. Do you think the state should be funding faith schools? Did you say me? Yes. I'm sorry. I, I, I did, That's I, quite all right. I, I missed it. Um, do the state, should it, well, I actually think from the point of view, from the Christian point of view, uh, church schools have been funded um, and make an enormous difference to the education of children in this country and are greatly sought after by parents because of the standard. Um, also, I would say that because we're still a Christian country, 70% of people say that it is, and I, I believe it is, and we mustn't throw away our Christian foundations, which have, have made such a difference to this country and our standards um, over the past, and are in danger of being thrown away. So um, I think in many respects, yes, we should. But having said that, I don't think we should be funding schools um, which are uh, going to cause problems to the uh, local community if they're a, a faith school which is such that, um, like a madrasa, for example, um, and, and I have to think we have to be wise and careful where we put them. Now, in Stoke Poges, I, I don't know the, the village as such, but I think if the residents are so concerned, the fact that the, um, many, many people will have to travel in for a secondary school to that place and the area isn't properly um, organised for a large school, a secondary school, then I think it's, it's, it's a, a wrong place. We should be having these schools. If there's a, an area with a lot of Sikh children, fine, have a school. But I do think it needs to be in the right place. And this sounds as though it, it isn't. Um, what, what if that school that, that were being proposed were a Christian school? Would you, would you object to it then? Being closed? Uh, well, yeah, would you, would you object to it being, uh, opening in Stoke Poges if it were a Christian school? Well, again, I think if, if the area isn't right in terms of the infrastructure, then I think there's a real problem, especially for a secondary school where you're going to have, what, hundreds of children coming, hundreds of cars. Um, I, I think if you're going to have a school that's out in, in a village, uh, it has to be thought really carefully about um, simply because of the, the amount of traffic and the chaos that can ensue. And Alison, just to, just to clarify your, your first point, you, you do think that Christian uh, schools should be funded by the state. Do you think that schools from other faiths should be funded? Well, I, I think there's probably a need for that if the the school is um, r- right beside an area where there are... If it's in the right location. Yes, right, where there are a particularly large number of those ethnic people. Um, but, I, I, but I think that has to be carefully thought about. Uh, Charles, what do you think? Do you, do you think the state should be providing funding for, for faith schools? Well, you, you introduced me as chair of Bedfordshire Humanists, what I am, but I want to stress it is not just as a humanist uh, that I oppose faith schools, also as a secularist. And in fact, it's worth noting that um, the Accord Coalition, which is the, the major body opposing faith schools, is headed by Rabbi Jonathan Romain of, uh, of Maidenhead. Humanists uh, have this strong belief in the, in the autonomy of the individual, guided um, 
by reason and conscience is the phrase in, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And it's our view that the, the job of education should develop these but not dictate them. So we, we don't believe, basically, that there is any, any such thing as a Muslim child or a Roman Catholic child or a Jewish child. All there are are, um, parent, are, are children of such parents. Now, there's some particular denominations, and Jews are among them, and in fact, Sikhs are among them, where it's not just the religion. It, it's, the, it, it's as much an ethnic category as a religion. And um, people like Jonathan Romain are acutely aware that these religions have as much to lose as to gain by segregating their children off and separating them from mainstream society. And if you really want to see the dangerous effect of such segregation, look at Northern Ireland, two communities at each other's throats for generations, and this is contributed to in no small measure by the insistence on separate education. It started from the Catholic side, insisting on um, separate education, which meant that the, the other community, the Protestants, their schools, oh no, the, 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 the state schools, as it were, um, were de facto Protestant schools. Well, Charles, let's, let's put that to let's put that to Alison. Alison, faith schools they they encourage segregation. Well, they can do. I mean, that, that's absolutely right. Um, but uh, I, I take option uh, with the the fact that um, children aren't belonging to various categories. Um, I think that's wrong. I mean, we know that children in um, a, a, a Christian home uh, would, would not want to necessarily go to a uh, Hindu or a Sikh or a Muslim school. Of course they wouldn't, because their parents know that they have nothing in common with those faiths. Um, similarly, um, Muslim children particularly wouldn't want to go to uh, a Sikh, necessarily a Sikh school. But uh, Isn't that the problem, though, Alison, these, these boundaries that we set up between yes, different religions? It's much more than boundaries. It's a whole different way of life, isn't it? Now, I have to say that Church of England uh, children are well... Uh, Sorry, Church of England schools welcome children of any faith, as can be seen. I mean, we have uh, St. Mary's in Chessent, um, and there are all sorts of children and all sorts of colours um, in going to that school, um, and all belong, and all are welcome. And they and do that in other, and they do in other faith schools. The, the, the school we're discussing here in Stoke Poges would, would uh, 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 I think that 10%, the gentleman was saying, of their first year of intake are from other faiths. Yes. So, so other schools welcome different religions as well, don't they? Well, they do. Absolutely they do. Um, I, I, I just think uh, it sounds to me, and I haven't read all the details, I don't know about it, um, in as much that how the village people feel, but I, I do think it's absolutely crucial as to where these schools are sited. And, and you can't really have people being bussed from all over the place to go to a school that's right in the middle of a, of a village because it just completely upsets the infrastructure. Charles, going back to, to the segregation uh, aspects uh, mm. slightly, yeah. it's normal, isn't it, for people of uh, the one mindset to want to congregate with other people of that mindset, whether it be a political belief or it be a religious belief. Is there anything bad in that, necessarily? No, but... Um... 
um, one question is, should the state be funding it? Should it not be the responsibility of the community itself to perpetuate whatever traditions it wants to, rather than be subsidised by the state? And there are, there are financial aspects to this, like, for example, the um, provision of free transport to a denominational school, uh, which is um, further away than the nearest um, non-denominational school, uh, a parental choice that gets subsidised by other taxpayers. There's a question whether whether that's fair. Um, and it, it, uh, the other key question, it seems to me, is the is the grounds on which you you, you separate children out. Um, let me run a little thought experiment by. Let's suppose we, we have, like Finland, um, state-funded, um, comprehensive, mixed-sex, non-denominational schools. Very few independent schools just have kind of one kind of neighbourhood school. And the government decides in its wisdom, just as they did with pensions, just as they did with hospitals, that we should have choice. Whether we want it or not, we should have choice. Okay, then what criteria should, should the choice be on? Should it be perhaps on the ability of the, of the child? Well, that would give, effectively give us, give us grammar schools. Should it be on the aptitudes of the child? Are, are they into practical things or academic things, language, science, this sort of thing? Should we split children up like that? Should we split them by gender? There are plenty of single-sex schools around. Should we separate them by style of learning? There are some children who um, like a kind of open-ended Right. who respond to an open-ended style, others who respond to a, 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 a formal Gove style drill. I'm missing the point of or, slightly, or Charles. Should we, or should we um, segregate them according to the supernatural beliefs of their parents? And I, and I think given the choice of those things, the... Um, the last is the least likely for people to choose, bearing in v mind very quickly. That at the centre of the educational process is the child. Charles, we're running out of time. Let me just put that last point to Alison. Alison. I think we have to remember that education, so much of it has come from Christians who have been delighted to want to improve education for children and to help children to look after children. And if we go the humanist, secular, aggressive society that they wish us to be, uh, to take away from Christianity, we will lose so much. And I think we need to be so careful about chucking out everything that's Christian in this country. And education is one of them. It's crucial. We look after all children and, and Christians are delighted to do that. Uh, Alison, thank you very much uh, indeed. That was uh, the last voice you heard there was Alison Ruoff, who's a member of the General Synod and lives in Chesson. And uh, the gentleman was Charles Bailey, who is the chair of Bedfordshire Humanists. I could have done the rest of the show talking to those two. It was just starting to kick off then. I could have done another 45 minutes of that. That was fascinating. Thank you very much uh, to both of you. Right, it's 8.15. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking a bit slow on the M40, not massively so, but definitely quite busy from Watlington towards Stoken Church after sketchy reports of an accident earlier through there this morning. Taking a look at the speed centres, it's looking like it's getting quite busy as you leave High Wycombe and head southbound on the A404 past Marlow and down toward the M4. So for anyone going that way this morning, expect a bit of a queue. At the A5 in Dunstable, looking a bit slow past the A505 junctions. Milton Keynes not looking too bad. A short delay in Olney on the southbound side of the A509. That'll be the roadworks. Temporary traffic lights are up at the minute along the High Street South. You've got delays coming down toward the Black Cat Roundabout from St Neots. It's looking very busy down to, do, t down to the Great Barford Bypass. excuse me. Then Sandy's looking slow as well. The A1M in Stevenage, you have a southbound queue 
coming from Junction, well, 8 at Hitchin towards 7 at Stevenage, really. M1 on the London-bound side is looking busy past Junction 9 as you come past the A5 Junction at Redbourne. It's also looking quite slow in the Luton area, so a little bit of a queue through there. And then patches of traffic on the M25. Anti-clockwise, it's slow moving past the M11 at Junction 27. It's slow through the roadworks from Junction 25 to Potter's Bar. And then it's very busy as you go from Kings Langley all the way through to the M40. Then we've got train problems as well if you're travelling with East Midlands trains or First Capital Connect. Half-hour delays into and out of St Pancras because of a signalling problem. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. Morning, it's 8.17. It's Monday the 1st of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. David Cameron has been warned he won't be able to block plans for a big pay rise for MPs. A 42-year-old man has been charged with the crossbow murder of Daryl Farnham in Aylesbury. In sport, Lewis Hamilton says Pirelli must act now after a series of dangerous tyre failures in the British Grand Prix. The weather today uh, for beds, hearts and bucks, mainly dry, sunny spells and a top temperature of 20 degrees. Coming up, around a fifth of patients in Milton Keynes and Hertfordshire Valley find current GP opening hours inconvenient. We'll find out more before 8.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni. The bosses of a Milton Keynes lorry driver who died after falling asleep at the wheel have been found guilty of manslaughter with the best local news stories. At the moment, Christmas in Luton is at risk. We'll do our best. We'll work with the business community and other sponsors to fund the Christmas lights. The best local travel. Multi-vehicle crash on the M1 northbound just as you come from the M25. It's going to get busy. Three cars involved with the best local talking points. Because I was born female, that was my first sin, if you like, and I don't think I've ever been forgiven for it. Roberto Peroni, weekdays from three, on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, joined by uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who, well, let's just say he may not be uh, a BBC Three Counties Radio for much longer. Oh, why? Well, two reasons. One, I've made a very serious complaint about your attitude in the office, (laughs) which will be looked at seriously. But secondly... You've got so many other skills up your sleeve. Uh, I saw your pictures on Twitter and Facebook this weekend. You've been tiling. I have been tiling. You were excellent. And there's no joke coming. You were excellent. I know. Your face is beaming. Genuinely. Where was this? Well, you see, my my dad, I I forced him because he had a a utility room. Yes. That was, it was all the kitchen cabinets from the 70s. Yeah. It was awful green. Oh, no. It's disgusting. And I've been going on at him for ages. I've been saying, look, come on, let's rip this out. Let's put something more modern, something a little fresher, simpler. So finally he did it. Anyway, he's been moaning and groaning and saying, oh, you're costing me money, you're costing me money. Yeah. So anyway, he did it. But we still needed to tile behind the sink. Little splashback. That's right. So I said, uh, I said, don't worry, Dad. Let's, uh, let's go and get some tiles and, and I'll have a go at tiling your splashback. So brave. So I thought, OK. So, uh, so he bought these tiles and, and I, I did it. I mean, admittedly, he helped me with three, which he was very quick to uh, remind me. Um, But I did it. And you know, when I finished it, I looked at it and I thought, that's not bad. It's really good. Did you put matchsticks? Did people still do that in between the tiles? No, I uh, put little spaces, proper tiling spaces. Wow. And then I grouted. (laughs) Well, you've got to celebrate somehow, haven't you? (laughs) Ah. I I genuinely thought it was brilliant. (laughs) I genuinely... 
Genuinely thought you did really, really well. I was really, I was a little bit jealous of your skills because I really? can't do that. I'm so not a DIY man. Mind you, did you notice I didn't have to cut any? I think had I had to cut or tile, <laughs> tile around anything, could have been a little bit different. You know, just a flat space. Yes, it was okay. You did very well. Thanks very Good much. Work. I feel as if you're being genuine. No, I am being genuine. Really I, I really am. I, I, the things like that impress me a lot because I, I cannot do anything like that, and I would have paid a man. You should give it a go. Have you got a splash bag? Anywhere in your house that needs tiling? <laughs> so I can find <laughs> it somewhere. Do it, do it. I will do. Just tile a random splash bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, you're making me laugh like an idiot. Now, what's coming up on your show this morning? Well, uh, coming up at uh, nine on the big phone in this morning, picking up on this MP pay rise story, yes. I'm asking, do you think MPs should be given a pay rise? So they currently earn, backbench MPs earn £66,000 a year. Very nice too. However, the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority have reviewed their pay and they're likely to suggest MP salaries should go to over £70,000 after the next election. I know you've been, uh, you've been asking for calls on this. Yep. The, the majority of people anti this idea, uh, are they? The majority are anti, but the sensible ones, there are a few sensible people who realise it's a good idea. Well, I, here's the argument, as far as I'm concerned, in favour of them getting more. When you compare what they do in terms of the responsibility that they have and what they should be doing as part of the job, you know, if you look at what what ultimately an MP should do, then it seems a bit out of kilter, doesn't it, with some other jobs with a similar level of responsibility. I mean, what's the chief executive of Hertfordshire County Council on? I think it's about £170,000. The previous chief executive was on 200000 so they reduced it. The chief executive of Buckinghamshire County Council is crazy money, isn't it? Yeah, Over 200000 Ridiculous. So when you compare the kind of salaries that are going on elsewhere in local government, when you look at uh, the private sector and how much someone within business who had a huge level of responsibility like an MP would get, then certainly 66,000 seems a bit low. So does that mean that we should give them more money? From nine this morning, do you think MPs should be given a pay rise? Perhaps the very idea of it disgusts you. It's been years since you've had a pay rise. Perhaps you're listening and you've had a pay cut. And this drives you bonkers. From Nine, do you think MPs should be given a pay rise? Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, around a fifth of patients in Milton Keynes and Hertfordshire Valley find current uh, GP opening hours inconvenient. Labour are drawing attention to the results from the latest patient survey on the same day that health regulators launch a review into how easy it is for patients to access their family doctor. Well, nationally, over 70% would want their GPs to be open during evenings and on Saturdays. However, last week, Radlett GP Mike Ingram said that evening and Saturday appointments were actually fairly commonplace. Oh, that's not the thing we want to do. I tell you what, we'll go to that in a little bit. The Shadow Health Minister, Liz Kendall, is on the line now. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you very much. What's your concern about these figures? I think that a lot of people in hearts, beds and bucks really struggle to get to see their GP outside of the kind of typical nine-to-five working hours. For many people, their jobs aren't like that. There's lots of people who have to commute... 
lots of parents also have to go and pick their kids up after school. And I think it's really important that people can get to see their GP, not just because they want to and they pay their taxes for the NHS, but because if they don't get to see the GP and the problem gets worse, they could end up uh, going to A&E or using more expensive services because that doesn't make financial sense either. 20% say it's inconvenient, but that does mean that the majority think that that, that it is convenient. Yeah, but I'm sure that if 20% of your listeners uh, were unhappy with something about your show, you would probably try and listen to that. I suspect it's more than that, Liz, to be honest, but (laughs) never mind. Yes, point taken, point taken. Uh, You would try and listen to, you know, it's about 245,000 patients across hearts, beds and bucks. And I think GPs will want to listen to what their patients are saying and try and make their opening hours more flexible. What most, about three quarters of these patients would like evening appointments and weekend appointments. And it's interesting that the GP in Radlett said, well, that, that's often the case. But I know um, from my experience, when they say evening, sometimes that's like 6.30. But if you're coming, travelling back from, you've been working in London or far away, there's no way you can get back by 6.30. I, I don't count that as an evening appointment. Uh, we've heard about the cost. Dr Mark Porter, the chairman of council at the British Medical Association, said last week that the health service can barely afford its current model. So it would be almost impossible to extend opening hours, wouldn't it? Well, actually, um, when Labour was in government, we had some quite strong incentives on GPs to have more flexible working hours. And, you know, they worked very hard, GPs, to try and look at their rotors, uh, make greater use of practice nurses, uh, to make sure that people could get to see somebody, perhaps not always their own individual GP, but a GP. And so if you look at other parts of our society and the economy, if you have better opening hours so that people don't end up ringing out of hours or going to A&E, that's better for patients and it also saves money. So I think there is a way to do this. And it's really important for that the NHS is flexible and accessible for people, but I think it would also ultimately save money too, as I said, because you're not going to get people putting off a problem and it Hang gets on. worse. It would, it would save money to have doctor's surgeries open later and, and on more days? Well, if you... Um, of all of the patients who couldn't get an appointment across the country mm. um, last year, this is according to a national GP yep. surgery, one in ten of them ended up at A&E. Now, it's far more expensive to pay for someone to go to, you know, to deal with someone in A&E than it is in a GP surgery. So I think more flexibility is better for people and, as I said, makes more economic sense too. And it's what people want. You know, they've got busy working lives. They've got to balance that with their looking after kids too. And I think the NHS needs to change to make sure that it understands that, you know, people's working lives are very different these days. Uh, Liz, just going off on a slight tangent while I've got you here, do do you think you deserve a £10,000 pay rise? Definitely not. I don't, no. I I think it is completely, for me, completely out of the question. Uh, I don't think we should be getting a pay rise. I think people will be, rightly, would be appalled if um, MPs took a big pay rise. At the moment, uh, and I think this is right, instead of MPs setting our own salary, it's set by an independent body. And I think that it's right that it's done that. It shouldn't be us setting the salary. I mean, I hope that they don't recommend that. Uh, and if they do, I would certainly be against MPs taking that if pay rise. If you got given a £10,000 pay rise, and yeah. you're so against it, 
Would you give it back? And I don't see if I could give it back or see if I could put it into, as, as a local MP, into the work that I do in my office, giving advice and help to people, or to see if there's some other organisation locally that I, I might be able to uh, give it to. So I, I wouldn't take it. You know, Liz, you know, you know if this happens now, we're going to be speaking to you in a couple of years, going, so where's Definitely. the extra money gone, Ms Kendall? Definitely. Uh, Liz, be my guest. Be Liz, my guest. thank you very much. We'll take you up on that, uh, that offer. That's Liz Kendall, the Shadow Health Minister. You heard it there. If she gets that 10 grand, extra 10 grand, she doesn't think that, that MPs deserve it. If she gets it, she's either going to give it back or try and invest it into uh, her local community in some way or other. We'll be speaking to Ms Kendall in uh, 2015, no doubt, and finding out. Well, what do you think? I think she's wrong. I think MPs do deserve a pay rise. Jonathan was right when he says the leader of some of the local councillors, 170 grand, over 200 grand for running the council. The Prime Minister gets, what, 143,000 a year, I think? Which is ridiculous. Here's what I suggest, OK? And we'll, we'll do your Facebook comments after the news, because there are loads of them. MPs get 65 grand a year, 66,000 pounds a year. Give them 100,000 pounds a year, keep their pension, stop them from doing another job while they're an MP. You, you can't argue with that, can you? Hang on a second. Cards there we go. Bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, we're having all sorts of problems with yeah. our uh, computer system mm-hmm. uh, today. That one was my fault. I okay. had the volume down on you, so I, I, I apologise. No, it's fine. I thought you were leaving a very pregnant pause for <laughs> deliberate effect. <laughs> you could have styled that one out because it sounded really good. I could have got away with it if we weren't for you pesky kids. Carry on, Adam. Thank you. M1 Southbound. We've got reports of very slow traffic from Junction 11 at the A505 down toward 10 at Luton Airport. Tracy gave us a call there. She said it's looking absolutely stationary. You've also got delays further down the M1 because it's slow from Junction 9 at Redbourne toward the M25. Clockwise M25 is heavy going through the roadworks from the A1M toward Enfield. Anti-clockwise slow from St Albans to the M40, Junction 21A to 16. Then looking at the A1, firstly you've got the delays coming to the Black Cat roundabout from St Neots. The A1M looking slow past Stevenage at Junction 7. And then into London through Boreham Wood. Problems now along the Barnet Bypass. Two lanes have been closed after a three-car accident southbound just before Stirling Corner. The congestion is back to the M25 at Junction 23. So lanes one and two of the southbound A1 are currently closed, all traffic having to sneak past in lane three. And as you'd imagine, that's a real pinch point. On the trains, First Capital Connect have half-hour delays from Bedford through to Brighton and from St Albans to Sutton because of a signalling problem at St Pancras. And it's affecting East Midlands train services as well. Plus Virgin, 30-minute delays in the Midlands because of a signalling problem at Wolverhampton. It's affecting them between there and Birmingham New Street. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. 8.31, News and Sport now. Here's Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Headlines. David Cameron has been warned he won't be able to block plans for a big pay rise for MPs. A 42-year-old man's been charged with the crossbow murder of Daryl Farnham in Aylesbury and Thames Valley police are hunting a rapist who attacked a woman after they shared a cab home from a night out in Aylesbury. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton says Pirelli must act now after a series of tyre failures in the British Grand Prix. Four drivers had dramatic blowouts during the race at Silverstone, with Hamilton's happening after seven laps while he was leading. It's just unacceptable, really. We had that tyre test to develop and improve the tyre and stop this from happening. And after that tyre test, they didn't do anything about it. And it could have happened at high speed and someone could have crashed. And, it, and I was thinking in the race when we were behind the safety car, it's only until someone gets hurt that someone's going to do something about it. Britain will have an interest in both the men's and women's fourth round at Wimbledon for the first time in 15 years later. Andy Murray plays Mikhail Yuzne in the second match on centre court, while British women's number one Laura Robson takes on Kaya Kanepi in the first match on court one at one o'clock. Brazil have won football's Confederations Cup final with a 3-0 win over Spain. Fred scored twice and Neymar was also on target. The BBC's Ben Smith was watching. At the final whistle, the Maracanã reverberated to the sound of this passionate and fiercely partisan crowd singing the champions are back. And it was hard to disagree. This was Brazil at their brilliant best. And they simply blew Spain and their 29-match unbeaten record away. Fred had fired Brazil in front after two minutes. Neymar made it 2-0 at half-time with a thunderous left-foot strike. Fred grabbed another after the interval before Spain missed a penalty and had a man sent off to compound the misery. Finally, rugby in Australia will find out later if Captain James Horwill will be available for the third and final test of the British and Irish Lions series. Although cleared of a stamping charge from the first test, Horwill must face a second hearing after the International Rugby Board reopened the case. And that's the latest news and sport. I'll be back with more at nine o'clock. Not ready, Catherine. I'm not ready. Oh, what are you doing? I'm, t- I'm talking to a guest. I've got a guest lined up, and I'm just uh, saying how professional and slick I am. And yeah. you've you have, have finished made my... me look yeah. unprofessional. Oh, sorry about that. My fault, apparently. Across beds, hearts, and bucks. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Catherine Boyle is constantly trying to sabotage my suaveness. Yes, I am uh, from Suaviland. I speak Suavili. Now, coming up in the last 30 minutes of the show, we'll be talking about police cuts. We'll be talking about the Rolling Stones. But before that, MPs, do they deserve to be paid a little bit more? Of course they do. It makes perfect sense. The Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority is set to recommend a salary increase of up to £10,000 after the next election. Well, at present, they get a little over £66,000 a year. David Cameron is worth almost £4 million, and it's, it's estimated the combined wealth of the Cabinet is nearly £70 million. Nearly three-quarters of them are millionaires in their own right. Well, Sophie Solaria has been out and about. Good morning, Sophie. Good morning. Now, listen, it, to me, it makes perfect sense. They run the country. They do one of the most important jobs there is they only get £66,000 a year. You think it's not enough? I, I, th- I think it's nowhere near enough for what they do, no. Well, word on the street is it absolutely is. I spoke to at least 15 people this morning. Not one person thinks they are deserving of a pay rise. So you're outnumbered. No, I'm, no, no, no. Well, well, I may be outnumbered, Sophie, but I, I am uh, speaking sense. Well, they clearly think they're worth it because in an e- anonymous survey last year, yep. uh, over a hundred MPs said that uh, six that well, sorry sixty nine percent of them said they were underpaid. So the average level of MPs suggested they should pay about eighty six thousand pounds a year. Yep, Is that I, about I, right. I say pay them a hundred grand a year. Pay wow. them a hundred thousand pounds a year and don't let them have a second job. Public don't agree, though. Well, should we have a listen to what they said? They were outraged. Let's listen to some outrage. <laughs> At the current state of the, uh, the economic crisis, I don't think so. I don't think they deserve it, if anything. Um, I think more money should be pumped into the economy instead of out of it by paying MPs more than they already get, which is extortionate. No, no. No? No. Uh, I wouldn't put it up at the moment, simply because uh, the rest of the public sector's 
being held together, so definitely not. No, they don't. No, no, they deserve to be paid less, a lot less. At present, they get just over sixty thousand. How do yeah. you, how do you think that money fares? It's far too much. We don't need them all because most of these rules these days come from Brussels anyway. So what do we need all these six hundred MPs for? We don't need them. We don't. If you cut them in by half, three hundred MPs, then I'd agree to give them a pay rise. Okay, double their constituencies. So, in other words, make them work a bit harder for their money. But nowadays, we don't need that money, so it's, it's totally unjustified, in my opinion. Where should the money go instead? The money should instead um, should go to sorting out a lot of the problems we've got with unemployment. You walk around here, you see after kids walking around, uh, no future for them, there's nothing. So it should be invested in that, in, in the youngsters. Definitely not. Up to £10,000 increase on their £60,000 a year. No, no, nobody else is getting an increase. Everybody else is having their money decreased. Why should they get extra money? What do they do for that money? They don't do anything for it. You seem not just cross, but quite shocked. Extremely cross. Yeah. And I should think most of the country are shocked. They say, you know, we're in this recession together. They're not in it at all. Well, Sophie, lots of people there obviously haven't thought the argument through properly. Obviously, I should have put them your argument. Well, yeah, look, look, some of the people on Facebook as well haven't got it. Uh, Lisa says, a little over 60 grand a year, nearly three times more than the national average salary when the rest of society are living from hand to mouth. Why on earth do they think they're an exception to the rule? Uh, John Morris Smith says, depends on the going rate for running a country, I guess. I'm not sure there's many other jobs that compare uh, to compare that against. Um, who else? We're just picking these uh, 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 random. Uh, Sheila says, should we give them a salary? Only if that incorporates expenses. They don't do a good job. Whatever parties in government, I would love to know where this money is coming from. Well, have a guess. How about awarding proper jobs more if they have the money? Proper workers keep the wheels turning and don't lie to us all day long. A lot of people, I think, Sophie, are taking a slightly, um, uh, you know, a Daily Mail front page attitude towards this. They do a very important job. They are loaded, though. Well, not all of them, and, and should a lot of them. Listen, you're just jealous, Sophie. A little bit. Aha! You a see, bit. that's where it comes from. They get holiday as well, like months of them. They need to rest. They are Sophie. They are running the country. Are they? Yes, they're MPs, Sophie. That's what they do. It's their job. I can guarantee you that. Sophie Solaria there. Uh, thank you very much indeed. You can give us a call on that, 08459 455555. And JVS will be talking about it after nine o'clock as well. Now, moving on. Cuts to frontline policing are putting more officers' lives at risk, according to the Police Federation. The Daily Express last week stated that 54 police officers are attacked every, every day... In the UK? Oh, goodness. They said that Thames Valley Police, which covers parts of Buckinghamshire, has the third largest number of officer assaults in the past year across the country. And given the size of its force, Hertfordshire had a high number of attacks per officer. 451 out of 2,000 were assaulted. Well, who, of course, could forget uh, PC John Henry, who was stabbed to death in Luton Town Centre, uh, which highlights just how dangerous this job can be. I'm joined now by PC Sarah Fraser, who's a serving officer from Bedfordshire Police, and was punched in the face while arresting a burglar. You've been left, Sarah, with a metal plate in your face and permanent scarring. What what happens? Tell us what happens. Um, it was two years ago, this August coming up, yep. and um, there was a report of a burglar that broken into somebody's house and was trying to steal the copper piping from inside. I turned up single crude, uh, and the gentleman... That means just you on your own, does it? I'm on my own, yeah, sorry, police jargon. I know. You're not uh, in court now, so you can... (laughs) Thank you. And um, the owner of the house came out and said that the gentleman who'd broken in was just further up the road. So I drove up the road, and uh, the gentleman had blood all over his face, come up to my car, 
kicked the police car door. I then got out and tried to arrest him. He wasn't compliant. He was swearing, shouting. There was members of the public that had now come outside because it was very early in the morning. And uh, I tried to use my CS spray. It didn't work. So I felt the only option was to try and run at him and tackle him to the ground. Even Um, though you're on your own? Yes. At no point did you think, maybe I should wait a few minutes or let this guy go. This isn't going to happen. I think that now afterwards. Right, yeah, of course. (laughs) Uh, But at the time, I think you've got members of the public looking at you. Their perception is that, and their expectation, is that you are going to do something, regardless Mm. of whether you're on your own, you're female, male, it doesn't matter. They expect you to do something. It's the uniform, isn't it? Exactly. So I felt like I had to. I felt like I had no choice. Mm. Um, And if I didn't, he would have got away. So you, you, you tried to tackle him to the ground? Tried, yes. What, what happened then? Um, I grabbed hold of him, um, but he was running towards me at the same time as I was running towards him. Uh, and he punched me straight in the face, knocked me out, knocked me to the floor and ran off. What, and then what happened then? Do you remember what happened then? Um, I've been told by my colleagues what's <laughs> happened because I still don't have a full memory of right. everything. Um, but I was, I was lying on the floor. Um, a, a unit came with a dog and they obviously tracked for him and found him in a in a garden nearby right um, and then i was taken <clears> off <throat> in the ambulance you've got a metal plate in your face i have i'm, yes. tr- I'm looking i'm trying to uh, they, they've hidden it very very well <laughs> they've, they've done very very well actually i have a scar just down the left side right. under my eye uh, i have got makeup on today yes. but um yeah you can still see it yeah. it's a permanent scar but i have a titanium plate which is holding my face together so what damage how, how damaged were you um in that one punch i got a broken eye socket broken nose and broken cheekbone and this was uh, this was a couple of years ago. It'd be two years it? in August. And, yeah. uh, did, have you gone back? Did you go back to work? Yeah, I, I was off for nine months. Yeah. Um, not just because of the injury, but sort of psychologically, oh, I, I felt bet. like I couldn't go back. Um, but I've I've been back to work since then. So. That first day back, what was that like? Um, it's quite a weird. It's very difficult to explain. I was I was excited to go back, but I was also absolutely petrified that. You know, even even now, I still feel even just a little bit of confrontation verbally is it, it worries me. It, yeah, of course. Yeah, and uh, you're considering whether you do have a future in the police force. Purely as a result of that, yes, right. I, I am. I don't feel safe anymore. So you, you could step down from it because of what happened. I will do eventually. I That's think I, I can. I can see it happening. I'm, I'm trying my best. I love absolutely love my job, but it's just. I don't have the same views of it. That's such a shame. Because you sat... I'm, I'm getting from you what I don't always get when I speak to police officers. I'm getting the passion about it. I'm getting uh, the, the passion that you're doing it because you uh, want to make a difference. It would have been so easy in that situation to go, he's there, I'm on my own. Uh, you know, I'm going to let this let this one go. And you didn't do that. And I don't get that from all police officers, from a lot of them, not from all of them. And to, to lose someone like you would be a great loss. But it, it, it's obviously had huge effect on you does it affect you uh, how you are at home as well with your family every day i think about it i still am in pain now and unfortunately that pain will be permanent because the nerve damage is permanent Mm. so it will never it will never ever go away um we're talking about cuts in the front line do you think that the cuts have affected and there are more to come and will affect the front line policing that we see on the streets massively yes in what way um we are just so thinly spread on the ground now. Um, and as, as far as I'm concerned, and obviously I speak for a lot of people, crime hasn't gone down as far as we're concerned. It's, it's getting worse and we have less officers to deal with it. 
and we're not, we, we, we are coping but we are just coping and you know unfortunately people are going to incidents on their own and therefore they're, they're, they're getting seriously hurt and it's going to keep happening and, and increase so you say the police uh, uh, service is just coping does that mean it's kind of a breaking point then well, it's obviously that's an assumption to make really but i think that you know, there's only so much that we can deal with, um, with the numbers that we have. Mm. And something has got to give at some point in the future. You know, we either keep, continue to cut and then it gets worse or we take more on and it gets better. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. And thank you so much for doing what you do. The police have had a bit of a bad rap recently and quite deservedly so because they've done some naughty things. <laughs> but then I get to speak to someone like you and it, it, it restores my faith considerably. So thank, thank you very, you very much, much for coming in. And I hope whatever you decide to do that... Um, you know, you're happy with it and stuff. Thank, Thank you very you. much. That's PC Sarah Fraser. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call about that. We're also talking about MP, uh, MP pay rises as well. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR or you can send me a text 81333. Start your text uh, 3CR. And while we're giving out all the, the, the little details, I should mention, of course, there is now a podcast uh, of the uh, show. If you want to go and get it, you can go to iTunes, type in Ian Lee, I-A-I-N, L double E, uh, and it pops up, and it's kind of the best bits. I think Sarah, you might be in my podcast this week. Is that all right? Okay. There, we go. there you go. You see, it's that, that's how easy it is to put this nonsense together. Adam, I do apologise. The computer's all over the shop. This is supposed to be your music for the travel. Right. It's not. But can, can it's, you? It's... I, I can deal with a news bed, and news bed's fine. It's, it's listen. That wasn't my fault. That was computer fault. So you well, you fine, do it, it, but do it in a newsy voice if you wouldn't mind. Try and do it more seriously. Thank you very through much. Through Boreham Wood, the A1 southbound. I can't do that the whole way through. The A1 southbound, it's easing. We did have the accident earlier just before Stirling Corner. Lanes 1 and 2 were closed. Everything's reopened through there, but the delays are still almost back to the M25. Then looking at the A1M, it's slow past Junction 7 at Stevenage. And the A1 to the Black Cat roundabout is looking really slow on the southbound side. If you're using the M1 this morning, it's very slow from Junction 11 past the A505 toward 10 at Luton Airport. And then busy from Redbourne to the M25. 25, junction 9 to 6A. Clockwise M25 heavy from the A1M into Enfield. Anti-clockwise very slow from St Albans to the M40. And you've got delays now through Hemel Hempstead on the A41. From the Two Waters Road, the A414 down to the M25. 20-minute delays for East Midlands trains, St Pancras to Nottingham because of an earlier signalling problem at St Pancras. They've managed to sort the problem, but the delays remain. Same for First Capital Connect services, Bedford to Brighton and St Albans to Sutton. And half-hour delays for Virgin trains in the West Midlands Wolverhampton to Birmingham New Street because of another signalling problem. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, it's 8.46. We'll keep this music playing, shall we? It's uh, Monday the 1st of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. David Cameron has been warned he won't be able to block plans for a big pay rise for MPs. Thames Valley Police are hunting a rapist who's attacked a woman after they shared a cab home from a night out in Aylesbury. In sport, British and Irish Lions captain Sam Warburton has been ruled out of the remainder of the tour after suffering a hamstring injury during the second test. Coming up, today is the start of Independent Booksellers Week, but are our local bookshops struggling? We'll find out more before nine o'clock, but before that, let's get the weather. Here's Kate Kinsella. 
Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, after a glorious weekend, it's feeling a little fresher this morning. We've still got plenty of sunshine, one or two spots of rain possible throughout the course of the day, but sunny spells or bright spells. Temperature not quite as warm. We're looking at a maximum later on this afternoon of around 20 Celsius, 68 degrees in Fahrenheit. Some nice sunshine to end the day, but the cloud overnight separates parts. We'll get some clearer spells as well and temperatures outside of towns and cities down to 9 Celsius, 48 degrees in Fahrenheit. So a less muggy night, a cooler night than the one we've just had. Tomorrow, a similar start with some sunny spells, but the cloud will thicken through the course of the morning and then in the afternoon, possibly, we might see a little bit of light rain. Then more persistent rain overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday. But during the daytime, we're hanging on to temperatures getting up to the early 20s, so 21, 22 Celsius for the remainder of the week. That's your forecast. Thank you very much. Every weekday from 12, Nick Coffer brings you... Great guests. Julian Clary. Welcome to BBC Three Counties Radio. Legendary Genesis guitarist, Steve Hackett. Supertramp frontman, Roger Hodgson. Carol Decker of Tapau fame joins me now. Great conversations. China in Your Hand is about the fragility of your dreams and that you should be careful what you wish for. Something very addictive about making people laugh is standing on stage and every few seconds getting that hit of a, of a laugh. Nick Coffer. Weekdays from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. The big uh, event of the weekend, if you want to call it that. I believe there was some car race or something. I'm not bothered about that. Glastonbury. And the Rolling Stones played Glastonbury. And I, I look at the front page of the Daily Mail. That's not a, that's not a nice photo of Mr. Richards or indeed Mr. Jagger. They look flipping awful. And I've never been a massive fan of the Stones. I've never quite got them. Well, one gentleman who perhaps does get them is pop historian Alan Clayson. He's author of The Rolling Stones, The Origin of the Species. He's also lead singer of the band Clayson and the Argonauts. He joins me on the phone now. Morning, Alan. Good morning, Ian. I'm I'm not a Rolling Stones fan, Alan. And trust me, I've tried. I've worked Mm. at it. There are only three good songs. I think... Well, that's your perspective. I mean, I would disagree because I sort of grew up with them, I suppose, um, you know, in, in the sense that they soundtracked my years at school in the 1960s. What was so special about the Stones then? Why was it the Stones you were attracted to more than, say, uh, uh, the Beatles or the Who or the Kinks or anything like that? Oh, I was attracted to them as well. And also, you know, groups like the Dave Clark Five and the Yardbirds and the Kinks. But I, I always just felt that they're, they, they're sort of the content of their output had more passion than the Beatles did. Um, I mean, I don't really understand, um, I mean, did you feel excited by seeing them at Glastonbury? Well, I didn't, I wasn't there, I saw a little glimpse of them on television, and I thought they looked, I thought they looked silly. Well, I I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that Mick Jagger, I mean, I was really impressed by how sort of athletic he was. Yes. But, I mean, you know, you're talking about somebody who's nearly 70, but, I mean, that's something you would expect of somebody who's the son of a PE instructor. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's, that's where his training... I mean, the others, you know, didn't look particularly... You know, they look their age, particularly Keith, although Charlie looked very sort of sprightly, I suppose. But you see, when you go to see the Stones, you're not going so much to a concert as a tribal gathering. And, you know, you've got to remember that those songs are, have been sort of embedded yep. for the past, you know, 50 
years or, or so, you know. And so, obviously, you know, you, you don't actually judge them in terms of performance. It, you know, you, you just say, well, that's the Rolling Stones doing, you know, you can't always get what you want or Jumping Jack Flash. You know, you, I don't think you, you speak of you think of it in that sense. Well, how, you said that, how, how did it compare, the performance of Glastonbury, with other performances you've seen them do, you know, of the past 40 years? Well, it was a whole lot better than the Stones at Hyde Park. I mean, if yeah. you ever heard that... That was I mean, a stinker, yeah. <laughs> it was, but, I mean, the, the point is people didn't notice that at the time. It's only when it was sort of, you know, hanging in the air um, afterwards, you know, on, on, in documentaries. But I thought it was a really good performance. And, I mean, the, the point is, you have to remember that, you know, Mick Jagger, he, he's not... He's no Scott Walker as a singer, you know. Not in that sort of sense of you know, sounding like, you know, Pavarotti or something like that. But, you know, who wants him to sing? I mean, on the highest plane, it's not what you do, it's what you are, really. You know, and, I mean, he's he's never really won sort of those, um, you know, readers' polls of, of, you know, the greatest singer on, in, on earth or anything like that. But, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, because he never sort of, you know, you know... It, as I say, he just is rather than, than does, if you see what I mean. Alan, we've got a little clip from them from Glastonbury. Let's have a little listen to this. After all these years, they finally got round to asking us. Us, it is a high spot of 43 years. At the same time, isn't it? You know, it kind of... It sounds all right. But you want to dance? I don't suppose you're in a position to do so. No, but that, but that's not because of where I'm sat. That's because of my physical <laughs> yeah. gifts I've been given. But I know what you're... I, I, had I been there, no doubt I would have been caught up uh, in, in the atmosphere. But I, listen, I am a fan of 60s bands. I saw the Beach Boys recently. Mm. I'm, I'm about to lose all of my musical credibility. I went to the States last year to see the Monkees. And they, they're in their 60s and 70s. They just seem to have a little bit more more dignity because they were acting like older men. They weren't prancing around like 25-year-olds. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I, the only one that was prancing around like a 25-year-old was Mick. I mean, the others weren't really. They were just sort of, you know, doggedly accompanying him, I suppose. But, um, you know, the, the point is if, you, if you've got the facilities to be able to prance about yeah. that, and you ought to use them. I mean, the other thing you ought to remember is that a lot of the old blues artists that, the Stone, that inspired the Stones in the first place, I mean, they ended their career sort of doing, you know, concerts sitting on chairs, you know, and, and I think it's, it, 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 I mean, what, how, how would you feel? I mean, would it be with more dignity <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they did the whole thing sitting down? Maybe that's what I'm looking for. How come, 45 years later, so many of these bands are still so popular? I think back to when I was a kid in the 80s. If we were listening to music that was 45 years old then, when I was a kid, mm. we'd be listening to George Formby and Vera Lynn. How <laughs> has the Beatles and the Monkees and the Beach Boys and the Stones, how have they managed to survive into the 21st century? Well, I think it's the whole nature of rock and roll, really. And the fact is that it sort of, you know, removed itself from that sort of, I don't know, sentimental kind of sound that you got in the in the in the war years i suppose but i mean the point is you know if, if vera lynn was still up to it and she you know she sang you know 
White Cliffs of Dover or something at some event. I mean, I think a lot of people will be, feel very moved by that. Um, and, I, and I suppose it's the same way as, you know, when the Stones do Jumping Jack Flash. But, you mean, you know, the sort of people that used to groove to Vera Lynn, I mean, they're sort of dying off, aren't they? <laughs> if anybody ever did groove to Vera Lynn, then yes, I think they are They are um, reaching the end of their lives. What's next for the Stones, Alan? Is this it? Is this going to be their swan song? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, you, you were sort of, you know, making a confession earlier on about the sort of... Um, the uh, concerts you've been to, yeah. but I mean, I, I have one as well, on. which is I'm I'm going to see Charles Aznavour oh. at the Royal Albert Hall in October, and Charles is 89. Is he really? Yeah, and, uh, he, and he's still, you know, performing. And I mean, yeah. I, 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 I 89. Suppose, well, on that criteria, I suppose as long as they're still up to it, as long as they're still alive. Yes. I mean, there's no reason why the stone shouldn't roll on forever. Well, Sinatra was going way past his sell-by date, mm. wasn't he? Well, yeah, and, and Bert Whedon, do you remember him? Yes, yep. Well, I mean, he was still doing gigs in his 90s. Wow. You know, so, I mean, there's no reason why I should pack it in. Isn't it funny you mentioned Charles Aznavour? Because I saw, I saw the advert for that in the papers yesterday, and part of me thought, oh, that might be quite good fun. And you're, you're going to go, are you? I certainly am. I mean, I'm, I'm going there to review it, actually. But, um, the, um, I don't know, I mean... Uh, the, I think that's to do with the, with the nature of what he does. I mean, yeah. he's a chansonnier, yeah. um, as opposed to a, you know just a, a songwriter. I think, and, and, and there's a greater emphasis um, on on well, there's as much emphasis on lyrics as there is upon melody and chord structure and chansons. I mean, it, can I just plug something I'm doing? Go on very quickly. Of course you can. Well, I'm doing something that's called Clayson Sing Chanson at the moment, and it's to tie in with the latest edition of my biography of Jacques Brel. Do you know him? Of course, of course. Yeah, and um, we do we're like on, a bit of Jacques Brel. Well, it's been on the road since. Um, since well last year and um you know that's that's drawing a, a very we're actually doing really good business on that um because of, there's a lot of interest in that sort of it's a very sophisticated form of popular song and uh, we're doing the Froome Festival next week, though that's beyond the scope of your free <laughs> People have cars these days. Listen, if you want to find Alan, thank you so much. AlanClayson.com if you want to uh, go and find out about his books. He's written a load of books. He's a cracking writer and uh, his uh, future gigs. Alan, thank you very much uh, indeed. We've just got time to have a look at uh, some of your Facebook uh, comments. Should MPs be given a pay rise? Of course they should. Karen says, give them a pay rise, maybe up to £70,000, but stop all other allowances and expenses. They shouldn't expect to have a house paid for or hotel bills in London as that is their normal place of work. Also, don't pay them on days when they're not performing their MP duties. I agree with that. Give them a pay rise, £100,000, stop them doing other jobs and make sure that they go to those sittings in Parliament and vote. Uh, that's it from me. Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be carrying on this, asking, do uh, MPs deserve a pay rise? You can start calling him now if you want. 08459 455 555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still a fair bit of traffic on the A1. Southbound, you've got the first pass.
patch of delays as you come down from St Neots to the Black Cat roundabout. Then it looks a little slow past Sandy. Definitely busy on the A1M round Junction 7 for the A602. And in fact, the A602 on the sensors is looking slow toward the A1M. You've got a little bit of a delay in Hartford as well on the A414. Then as you come down in toward London, the A1 is still quite slow through Boreham Wood. Not as bad as it was, but there was an accident earlier this morning near Stirling Corner. As for the M1, you've got patches of traffic. It's slow from Junction 11 at the A505 toward 10 at Luton Airport. Then from Redbourne to the M25, it's starting to ease off a little. In Dunstable, the A5 is looking pretty busy around the A505 junction. If you're using the M25, clockwise heavy traffic through the roadworks. That's the A1M to Enfield Junction 23 to 25. Anti-clockwise slow St Albans to the M40. And on the trains, 20-minute delays, first Capital Connect, Bedford to Brighton and St Albans to Sutton because of a signalling problem earlier this morning at St Pancras. East Midlands trains affected as well. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed. Thank you to everyone. Thank you, Richard, for stepping in and uh, helping out this morning. That's it from me. Back tomorrow at six o'clock. Don't forget to download the iPod podcast. JBS is up next. Until tomorrow, ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. 